0: Slide out there.
1: Howagi Ihaida Nitta. Happy Halloween to all you Ihosas and the uh Itcho out there. Hey, it is October. Probably my favorite time of the entire year. Uh, yes, this is another episode of Skoden Cinema. Today we're gonna to be talking about the really clever um Super funny uh, Very first Native American Full length zombie movie uh, 2010's The Dead Can't Dance Written, produced, directed Edited by Comanche Wichita filmmaker Rod Yeah, If you haven't seen this film Get to YouTube It is available there You can also head over to Amazon Prime Like I did and purchase it there Um, If you haven't seen the movie, please check it out, uh, because I'm getting ready to spoil the crap out of it for you. So how's everybody doing out there today? Uh, Or tonight, I guess. Uh, yeah, I apologize for getting this episode out kind of late. It has been a hell of a, a month to say the least. Uh, my wife has had to have surgery and um, she's been pretty much laid up and out of, out of commission for about the past uh, week and a half, two weeks or so. Uh, me not being able to go to school, um, to work on the podcast because that's the only place I have a computer. Uh, I haven't Kind of been a little bit behind on doing my research. I've been trying to do it all on my phone, and uh, man, if anybody has ever texted me or I've, I've ever sent anybody a, a text message or, or a uh, a private message or or whatever, even an email, you know that uh, my my uh, my grammatical and my spelling errors are, are quite numerous. So that has been a very daunting task. But uh, I just want to say welcome, and again, I appreciate everybody's patience and understanding for the matters. And, and we've been, like I said, it's it's been quite the month with my wife's surgery and, and we had foster babies in court and it's just, it's been a lot. So, uh, thank you guys so much for hanging in there with me, but, uh, yeah, it's October and we are gearing up here at our house, uh, for, for the holidays. Uh, we've got the kids, uh, costumes all ready to go. Uh, the, the, the boys, the Japans are going to be, uh, uh, Cobra Kai, uh, uh, my uh, oldest baby, KK, he's going to be going as uh, Daniel's son um, from Karate Kid. And then my young son, Trapper, uh, he's just one. He's going to be Johnny from uh, Cobra Kai. And so we're, we're uh, looking forward to, to getting them all dressed up and, and going and, and begging for candy from door to door and uh, gorging ourselves when we get home. So, yeah, like I said, this is my favorite month. We, we do the house up really good with, with all kinds of monster stuff and me, me being a monster kid. Uh, I really do get to, to be a kid again during this month. And my, my wife, you know, God bless her. She puts up with my shenanigans uh, about decorating the house and all. And she always says, you know, like, this is your month. I get Christmas. You can have you can have Halloween. So, yeah, maro, maro for that. But, uh, yeah, horror films. Uh, we're going to talk today about uh, The Dead Can't Dance. But uh, let me just uh, kind of start by saying, you know, I- I'm a huge uh, horror fan, and uh, I always have been. Uh, just, just the idea of being scared um, has always been very uh, tantalizing to me, I guess. Uh, I get, like, uh, excited sometimes, um, you know, when you're, when you're scared. I don't know. That's just how I, how I was and how I've always been. Uh, I can remember actually the very first horror film that I ever saw. I was a kid. I couldn't have been older than six or seven probably. And they were showing the original King Kong, the 1933 version on TV, which again doesn't sound like a big deal. But back in those days, you know, we didn't have, not every home had a VCR and there was no streaming service, obviously. So in order to see these movies after they left the theater, you just had to wait for them to come around on TV. We didn't even have cable back then so when movies premiered on network television man it it was a big deal and uh so our local station i think it was channel 8 if if memory serves correctly uh, ktul was showing the original king kong and they were showing it in 3d and so in order to get the 3d glasses you had to go to our area convenience store which is called quick trip and you had to take your uh, Lamar cup. I don't know if you, nobody, if if anybody out there remembers uh, Quit Trip and Lamar, the dog kind of mascot that they had. We had these Lamar cups, and you had to go get like uh, I think three three refills or something like that. And um, if if you turned in your 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 cups, your Lamar cups, you got your 3D glasses, and they had uh, King Kong like right on the on the nose piece there, and, and king kong down written down the side and and man i I wore those things even that movie i I was watched it and i was just mesmerized and scared shitless (laughs) and uh that big goofy ape so uh, that has always been a holds a very special memory for me uh just growing up and then i kept those glasses for the longest time i'd wear them to school i think i ended up my mom you know thought i was going to ruin my vision so i think she ended up actually cutting out the red and blue uh lenses because she thought Uh, I was going to go blind or or something like that, but uh, I wore those things to school, and I I didn't care, man. I I was a monster fan ever since then, and, uh, you know, like I said, growing up, we'd have uh, Godzilla on TV, or they'd show uh, Dracula, you know, the old Universal Monster movies, and uh, we had the horror host, uh, Count Gregor, uh, that was our local host, uh, horror host and he would host these these movies and um, wow, I just remember staying up so late and, and you know almost afraid to go to bed, uh, sneak out and, and try to you know watch you know what my parents were watching. I would kind of hide behind the couch or hide behind the recliner and, and watch these scary movies. but uh, yeah, always been a big fan of horror films and and today we're going to talk about uh, a first time watch for me, uh, The Dead Can't Dance. So, let's just, like, uh, I guess, jump in ass-first into this uh, with the tagline. Uh, Your bloodline matters. That is a perfect tagline for this movie. And uh, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say it now uh, just to kind of get all of this out of the way. Uh, you know, despite this being, like, this uh, om- uh, obvi- uh, obvious uh, homage to, like, comedy horror films like Shaun of the Dead or, or Evil Dead 2, uh... Uh, Fright Night, Return of the Living Dead, and Reanimator. Um, you know this film does have a lot of the same elements and plot points that uh, Jeff Barnaby's 2019 hit Blood Quantum ha- has a lot of the same themes uh, as that 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 movie. But we also have to say that these are two entirely different movies. You know this movie is a straight up Horror boner comedy, uh, laced with a few serious moments. Um, and while there's not really a whole lot of time for that kind of poppycock and BQ, um, it's 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 so freaking gritty. It's just this real rugged ass movie. If you've never seen it, um, we also have to say you know that Blood Quantum had a budget of like five point five million dollars, while The Dead Can't Dance had the budget of. Basically, a large order of potato skins at TGI Fridays, probably. And what I love about those types of shoestring films is their creativeness. And there is that's one thing that you can really say about this movie. There are so many moments that make you just smile ear to ear because the use of set pieces or landscapes or locations, um, those are the things that really drive the film forward. This movie is it's smart, and along with uh, movies like Ro- uh, Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi, uh, the Dead Can't Dance could seriously be taught as a genre film course on how to do a whole lot with not very little. Um, I'm not saying that Blood Quantum is a better movie. I'm just saying that they're different, and you have to know that going into this, um, or you could walk away disappointed. And I don't want to take away from, from Blood Quantum. I don't want to take away from this movie. But I do feel that it's important for the listeners to know that um, no matter what, this movie predates Blood Quantum by 10 years. Now, I don't own this on DVD or, or uh, on VHS or what. I don't, I don't know if there were VHS around in 2010, to be honest with you. But I don't own a physical copy of this movie, is my point. And uh, I purchased it off of Amazon Prime um, like last month. But it is available on Rod's YouTube channel, Rodzilla. That's R-A-W-D-Z-I-L-L-A. So go to Rodzilla uh, on YouTube and you'll find this film and several of his short films as well. Um, but if you're like me and you need a physical copy, you can pick one up from him directly right off his website. And I'm telling you now, I know it's easy to go to the YouTube and just download it. Or just watch it there for free, but support these native filmmakers, people. I mean, you have to to let these people know that, that we're watching, that we're make that the movies that they're making. There's an audience for them, and the only way you can do that is, is by you know driving up the views on YouTube, um, supporting the the, the filmmakers um, by purchasing the movies and and uh, letting them know how, you know how much we appreciate them. But since I don't have uh, the box description I normally have uh, during this segment, I'm just going to give you the Amazon Prime synopsis. It says, uh, quote, three Native Americans discover they are immune to a virus that's turning everyone else into zombies, end quote. Uh, yep. That, that pretty much sums it up. Uh, I do think there's a bit of a little disservice though to that. Cause I mean, there is a whole lot more to this movie than just that. So, um, I don't know who's in charge of writing those synopsises uh, for Amazon prime, but Rod, you might want to uh, get on the horn and let them know. Um, there's much more to your movie than, than just one single sentence. All right, so um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the movie stars Rod uh, Pocowatchit is Dax Wild Horse. He is Comanche, Pawnee, and he's from the Shawnee Nations as well. Uh, uh is a Wichita, Kansas-based filmmaker, producer, director, and writer with a strong ambition to see more Native Americans represented in popular culture. Rod has produced four feature films and 23 independent films, including a first ever of its kind, the zombie cult hit, The Dead Can't Dance. Um, He also has done some short films, such as The Incredible Brown Indian. He's done sci-fi work with The Red Hand, um, sort of like this native time travel sci-fi mashup. But Rod has been featuring contemporary natives in media way before anybody else was. Um, He's also an alumnus of the Sundance Institute-renowned screenwriting program, And he received a directing fellowship with L.A. Skins, uh, the L.A. Skins Fest and CBS in Los Angeles. Um, He told uh, Vision Media Maker uh, last year, quote, I always joke that I make films so that I could act in them because no one else will cast me. Uh, Rod is and always has been a storyteller through high school and college. He was heavily involved in theater and the written arts. He directed several plays and and writing his own short stories for the Wichita newspaper. Uh, Well into his journalism career, though, he found himself searching for new creative outlets. And as a lifelong movie lover, he decided to take his passions for storytelling to the next level. He wrote his first screenplay about several guys breaking down on the side of the road on a way to a powwow called Dancing on the Moon. Quote, I use the traditional mantra, write what you know, Rod joked. Breaking down on the highway to a powwow is a situation that I've been in many times before. Uh, Rod is fascinated with incorporating a native twist into every genre. Each time he sits down to watch a movie, he searches for a new take. He said one of the great things about the horror genre is its huge capacity for creative thinking. Quote, the cool thing about horror is that you can make up whatever you want. Whatever you set in your universe, you can make it happen. You just need to stick to your own rules," he said. Before the first feature film, Rod set a goal for himself to make ten short films in one year, experimenting with several different genres. Rod challenged himself to hone a new craft with each story. Every film Rod gave a chance to get uh, with every film Rod gave a chance to get more comfortable with the process of filmmaking and collaborating with others. Quote, Not every film uh, made the cut," Rod said. But they really, helped me, uh, they really helped make me a better director. Uh, inspired by the 2004 zombie dark comedy Shaun of the Dead, Rod wrote The Dead Can't Dance, the very first native feature-length horror comedy following three Comanche men who discover they are somehow immune to a virus that's killing everyone else and turning them into zombies with a craving for native brains. To learn more about his upcoming projects, visit his website, www.rodzilla.com. And once again, that is spelled R-A-W-D-Z-I-L-L-A.com. So, yeah, that is a little brief synopsis about Rod. He is such a creative force right now. And I think, um, you know, with all the doors being opened right now, there's definitely room for, for Mr. um and this new uh, uh, breed of filmmakers, this these new breed of, of television uh, programs and, and movies coming out. So um, we look forward to, to seeing more from you, sir. Uh, the next actor is Guy Ray Pocowatchit is Ray Wild Horse. He's obviously Comanche Pawnee and from the Shawnee Nations as well. And I couldn't really find a whole lot of information on him other than his internet movie database profile. Uh, He's been in several of Rod's productions and nothing outside of that really. Um, But he did win the best lead actor in a film at the 2004 American Indian LA Films and TV Awards in Hollywood, California. And he won that award for his work in Dancing on the Moon, um, the uh, movie about the breaking down on the side of the highway, uh, on their way to a powwow. Uh, and that movie also was available on YouTube as well. Um, so go check it out. Uh, he also created the comic book, the incredible, the incredible Brown Indian, which Rod actually turned uh, later turned into a, a series of shorts. And right now I think there's one, uh, out there also on his YouTube channel. And he said that he's releasing a second one pretty soon. So looking forward to that. Uh, TJ Williams as Eddie Wildhorse. Uh, his tribal affiliation is undetermined. Uh, obviously, he's native though, but I couldn't really find out uh, what nation um, that he hails from. Um, and this is uh, this, and I guess one other uh, uh, Rod Poco Watch It short are his only acting credits on IMDb. And again, I couldn't really find anything on him other than this uh, is his acting debut. Um, so. Uh, if you know anything about TJ Williams, I, I've tried to look him up on, on uh, Instagram. I've tried looking him up on Facebook uh, just to kind of see what he's been up to and, and uh, you know, hope maybe we could chat with him and, and you know, bring the band back together maybe for a, a Zoom reunion maybe um, since this being the, the 10th anniversary of, of the movie. But uh, since we're covering zombie movies uh, with this in this episode, I figured, uh, why, why not give the listeners a, a brief rundown on the history of zombies? Yeah, that's right, the history of zombies. You are not going to get away um, without a history lesson from old Turtle Boy here. So let's talk about uh, the history of zombies. You know, uh, zombies are normally portrayed as these mindless, Trump-supporting, flesh-eating, Decaying corpses that, uh, uh, well, thanks to the popularity of of, like The Walking Dead and and Hollywood's lust for anything successful, um, enjoyed a popularity surge in the past few years. Um, So whether they're devouring their victims in Dawn of the Dead or they're scavenging state fairs near Zombieland or even stepping up their groove in Michael Jackson's Thriller video, uh, zombies manage to ravage pop culture uh, just like social media elitists do old tweets. But unlike uh, these monsters, which are are, uh, usually portrayed... Uh, or, excuse me, usually the product of superstition, religion, and fear, and and you know natives are are some of the most superstitious people out there. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I I have sage burning as as I read this or record this. Um, (laughs) Zombies, however, uh, they do actually have a basis in loose fact, and uh, there are a few very verified cases of real zombies purportedly, Um, and I have to say that, um, from Haitian voodoo culture. It was those good old wholesome ancient Greeks that uh, may have been the first civilization terrorized by a fear of the undead. You know, unless you count those sickly white folks that showed up at Plymouth Rock on a boat one time. Uh, Yeah. Archaeologists, um, however, have unearthed many ancient graves um, which contain skeletons uh, pinned down by rocks or other heavy objects, you know, assumedly uh, to prevent the dead bodies from reanimating. Now, I want to shake the, the archaeologist's hand that came up with that uh, poppycock because uh, uh, to, to jump to such conclusions uh, is sort of mind-boggling, and I'm sure they're sitting somewhere, uh, you know, in a much fancier car than I am. Uh, driving around with that Ph.D. But uh, anyway, there's nothing to support that. Let's just say that. um, But it sounds good. It it makes for a good story, isn't it? But uh, voodoo or uh, Vodun is a religion based in West Africa. And it's practiced throughout uh, Haiti and the Caribbean, uh, Brazil, the American South, and and really any other place with a um, high population of African-American or African heritage, I should say. And, uh, so yeah, many people who follow the voodoo religion today, um, believe that zombies are myths, but there are some people who believe that, um, zombies were, uh, corpses revived or at least people revived by a voodoo practitioner known as a bokor, um, or as Hollywood would peg them, witch doctors. Now, bokors um, have a tradition of using things like herbs and shells, fish, animal parts, bones, and, and other objects to create concoctions, including um, zombie powders, um, which contain things like uh, tetrodotoxin. Dedrodo- tet- te- I wrote it down, and I can't even read my own handwriting. But basically, it's, it's like this deadly neurotoxin. It's, it's the deadly neurotoxin found in pufferfish. How about that? And um, some of the other marine species. But if you use it carefully in like these little sublethal doses, the neurotoxin combination could cause um, like zombie-like symptoms, such as difficulty walking, mental confusion, and even respiratory problems. Um, you know, high doses of the neurotoxin can lead to more serious uh, ailments like paralysis and even in a coma. Uh, and so, this could cause someone to appear dead and be buried alive. So. Um, I have to mention the voodoo, uh, the voodoo tr- uh, link because some of the very first um, zombie films in the 1930s um, were voodoo related. And we're going to get to that because I broke out um, two of the earliest zombie movies um, in preparation for this. And I watched them both. I watched uh, White Zombie and I Walk With a Zombie, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. But let's not just pick on um, one religion. Let's just not single out voodoo, shall we? Um, You know, because many of us uh, might be unfamiliar with or or label bizarre um, because zombies are also mentioned in the good book. That's right. uh, The old Bible. Uh, Obviously, though, you know, like the modern day uh, carnivorous zombie isn't in the Bible. But there are many references to bodies being reanimated or resurrected which may have inspired zombie myths throughout history. In the book of Ezekiel, um, it describes a vision where Ezekiel is dropped into a bone yard and prophesizes to the bones and the bones like start to shake and rattle and, and become covered with muscle and flesh until they're reanimated yet there was no breath in them. So explain that shit and then there's the the book of isaiah and, and that states um and i'm going to try to read these because the bible is kind of hard for me to read um thy dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise awake and sing he that devil uh, ye that dwell in dust for thy dew is the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead So, yeah, the good book's got some scary shit in it, too. So uh, let's talk really quick about zombie traits. Um, You know, whether we're talking about Haitian voodoo or or white Jesus, we can all agree on um, a zombie being either a reawakened corpse with this, you know, ravenous appetite for brains, um, which actually didn't happen until... That that was never a a thing with zombies until uh, the horror comedy Return of the Living Dead. So go check out that movie, but uh, I digress. Um, but anyway, um, or sometimes um, someone is bitten by, by a zombie and infected that way. I guess you could call that the, the zombie virus. But uh, they're usually portrayed as like these lumbering, unemotional beings with, with rotting flesh. And, and I've even seen a few uh, around Oklahoma wearing red uh, MAGA hats. And uh, <laughs> their only mission is to feed, um, basically, and they, they typically don't have, like, conversations, um, so, although they may grunt uh, a little. They might moan with, like, with hunger pangs, um, but that's usually about it. Uh, in most films, zombies um, sort of totter or, like, stagger around with, like, this pained gait. But there's in other movies like World War Z, they're like super quick and agile with like these cat-like reflexes, and I think those are called zombies. Get that zombies? What I did there. So this film, though, kind of takes liberty with all of these traits and kind of mashes them into something else entirely. The zombies in this movie move very gently. Um, they're they're curious and they're they're confused. Like they don't know. Like I don't know. It's just weird. to Really, kind of. They behave kind of like children, I guess, is really what they're. They're very childlike. Um, they're very innocent. They're not like these rav- ravenous beasts that are, that are, you know, they're just sort of there. Um, so, but we'll get there. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Now, I, I'm Muskogee, and we, we, we have a lot of estahonka uh, in our culture. But to my knowledge, um, we don't have anything resembling a zombie. But if I'm wrong, please let me know um, because I don't claim to be any kind of expert on the subject. So if there's any Muskogee out there that knows any stories of, of, of the undead or, or zombies, let me know because um, I haven't heard those stories. And I'd love to get with you and hear those stories. Speaking of stories, let's talk about The Dead Can't Dance. So the film opens with a title card reading somewhere in Kansas. And a car uh, pulls into a tourist center, you know, off the main highways. It's one of those ones that you see right around state lines, basically. Um, Two men get out of the car to kind of stretch their legs and pop their backs and and really just try to, like, figure out where the hell they are. Uh, The driver timelessly unfolds a map. Like, when was the last time you actually tried to unfold a map and figure out where you were at? Uh, So that certainly dates this movie. But uh, we get a title card for him. Introducing him as Dax, and it says that he's secretly very sick. And as he's fumbling around to like locate and pinpoint their exact location on the map, another man named Ray, his title card says he's secretly heartbroken. He like emerges from the car and he really starts giving Dax the business about getting lost. Uh, and I love this exchange because it's so spot on um, he starts terrorizing Dax of, you know like he's being an embarrassment uh, to, to the people for, for 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 not knowing his directions and I say that because I, I've heard my mom and dad have this uh, almost exact same conversation back in the day uh, when I was a kid we got lost uh, on our way to Silver Dollar City one time and when I say lost I mean we were like driving on like dirt roads like you know, gravel being you know, kicked up underneath the, the, the car. And uh, no matter how much grief my mom gave him, you know, my dad absolutely refused to turn around. He refused to stop and pull over, ask for directions. I mean, not that there was any place to do that, but still, he, he refused. And he, he kind of looked over at my mom and he said this he, he said, you know, even if an Indian is lost, he always knows where he's at. And it was one of those things where, like, I, I, at the time, I thought, God, my dad is the smartest man in the world. But now when I think back about it, like, it's such bullshit. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It just sounds cool. Uh, but, yeah, that's so funny. But uh, but being absolutely frustrated with the situation, um, Ray uh, tells Dax that uh, he's going to go inside and hit uh, the Jaguchi. Uh, from the back seat though emerges another young man Um, he's in his late teens early 20s and his name is Eddie and his title card states that he secretly doesn't want to go to college so here's kind of the setup it's this native road trip buddy movie with three friends and they all have a secret so Dax walks with Eddie inside to use the restroom and um, he pulls out the map again and he kind of begins to shake it open. Um, and I always think it's funny that that we do those kinds of things. Like shake it around like it's, like it's a bed sheet. It's going to help us figure it out better. Um, but anyway, uh, behind him, like in the background, we see like the usual hustle and bustle of just this normal day in the life of a travel plaza. Uh, there's like people looking around at brochures. They're, they're snapping photos of the road sign. um they're like gazing at these just giant, massive like wind turbines that are kind of stretched along the highway. But uh, Eddie, he, he takes in uh, the stunning view of the Kansas landscape. Uh, but for some reason, um, I just kind of got the feeling that this was, a, it was more of like a sarcastic setup or establishing shot. Um, it's stunning, I guess, because it's literally flat grassland as far as the eye can see. Um, it's like driving home the point that uh they're literally stuck in the middle of nowhere. And why I say sarcastic is because um among all these wind turbines and just this flat prairie uh, rod, uh not rod, excuse me. It's Rod, but it's uh, Dax. Uh, he goes, Mm, pretty. So it's like like is it though? Is it really all that pretty? But uh when he turns back around, um all the people behind him have suddenly collapsed. And they're bleeding from, like, the nose or eyes. And Eddie and Ray emerge from the bathroom to the sight of Dax, like, frantically trying to rouse all the drop-dead folks. Like, he's going around, like, from body to body, shaking their shoulders. He's asking, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Can you hear me? What's wrong? And, and Eddie's uh, asked the obvious question to which Dax replies, like, I don't know, but we need to leave. Like, now. And Ray is, like, leaning over. It's kind of funny because at first he's appearing to, like, check uh, like check the vitals of, like, this kind of attractive young woman. She's, like, in a tank top, and she's lying unconscious on the ground. But then the camera kind of moves around, and uh, the camera angle changes, and it reveals that he's actually uh, looking down her shirt. And I, I know, I know. Uh, In the context of the film, though, uh, this was actually really, really funny because you're not really expecting like a boner gag at that particular moment. So it was kind of out of the out of the, you know, out of left field. But uh, I probably spoiled the joke here. uh, But like I said, it it's because it's a reveal to the viewer. But anyway, sorry about that. I should have said spoiler warnings. But uh, they all pile in the war pony and, and, and like tear ass out of there. Now, there's also a few character behaviors that we get from this opening scene. Um, Dax, uh, he's like this patriarchal figure who's constantly trying to take care of everything. Um, he's reminding Ray of things like, um, you know, you shouldn't be smoking. And when Ray cusses, he's like, watch your language or watch your mouth. Um, so he's basically kind of like this do gooder, but he has a good heart. Um, and you already kind of know what his character arc is going to be. Um, he's got to learn to kind of like let things go and, and not take, you know, not be so, so, uh, prudish, I guess. Uh, but then you have Ray and he is like the opposite of Dax. He's like gruff and he's confrontational. He's kind of profane. He, he's stubborn, Um, he's, he's grumpy, he complains, and he's just never really content about anything. Um, and then Eddie, we don't really get to know too much about him because all he did was just basically take a piss. But after the credit sequence, uh, we see the car and it pulls into like a desolate town and the entire street is like littered with dead bodies. And as they pull through the one light town, they, they come across several cars. And they're kind of like bottlenecked along the two-lane road, uh, partially blocking it. Uh, all the cars, though, um, mysteriously have like dead bodies hanging out the driver's side windows. So I'm so not really sure what that was about. But for some reason, all the bodies are like hanging out the window. Um, and they're really kind of anxious to, to get through the jam. So uh, Ray encourages Dax, like, let's get the hell off this road. So Dax kind of guns it around all of that 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 mess so we catch up to the trio uh they're like several miles down the road and um eddie is in the back seat and he's like nervous nervously like mumbling to himself um he's scared out of his wits and i guess that's one of his character ticks um is he he mumbles um because that's one of the things that dax constantly reminds him like don't mumble like use your words um you know, throughout the film, but anyway, um, Dax, true to his character, um, he's trying to like calm him down, and he's like trying to reassure him, like everything's going to be okay, pal. Everything's going to be great. And and while he's doing that, Ray's like busy, busying himself, like fiddling around with the radio. Um, but all that comes through the stereo is like dead air and static. And then Ray shouts, "What's
0: going on? Maybe, maybe there's something in the air." Okay, everybody, just calm down! Just calm down, okay? Take a deep breath! Of this toxic death air, no thank you. How come we're okay? How come we didn't fall down like everybody else? How come we're still alive? Eddie? Do you feel sick? I feel sick. Yeah, well you're just hung over. I don't feel a pulse! Oh my god! I don't feel a pulse. Where are you supposed to check for a pulse? I mean, check your ass wait a minute wait a minute yeah okay yeah i, th- I got it. okay definitely a pulse yeah way not to panic there
1: oh god <laughs> oh this scene is so freaking funny y'all i'm telling you like they have their hands uh over their mouths and like their shirts covering their faces and, and they're all like trying to figure out things like ending ways um so they're like looking all around the car and they're trying to find you know like who knows what and they're checking each other's pulses And then Dax hands Ray a flip phone, and the hilarity ensues. Try that.
0: Hello? Yeah, can can you tell us what's happening, please? What? Who'd you call? What? Vixens from outer space? Who are you calling? And you want to rip our clothes off? What? No service, dipshit. Very funny. How come at the worst possible time, you can never get service?
1: Man, he is not lying right there. Anytime you need service, you never get it. Um, or you get shoddy service at best. But uh, I really like this exchange because it totally amps up the sibling rivalry subplot. Um, you can tell Dax has, you know, spent his entire life like correcting Ray on everything from, from hygiene to grammar, and, and Ray just he cannot stand it. Um, so of course it's all setting up for a big blowout, you know, later in the movie. But the next shot is this Tarantino's car trunk point of view shot. And you've seen it a hundred times before, Um, you know, basically the camera's inside the trunk and then it's like black and then they lift the trunk and it reveals, um, you know, you get Ray and and Dax and they're like standing over, looking down into the trunk, searching for a gas can. Um, Because of the faulty gas gauge in Dax's car, they're now stranded on the highway. So paying homage to uh, Tarantino and his classic heist film, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that Ray is also, well, the whole cast actually is wearing a Reservation Dogs T-shirt from the Res Dog line, and I don't know if you guys remember that, but man, what what a what a clothing line that was, wasn't? It? Uh, I don't, I don't even know what happened to them. Um, they used to make some of the best shirts like back in the day. And I had uh, a couple, um, one had like the big logo of like the, it looked like a wolf or like a dog on the front of it. It was like real big on the chest and it said like res dog on it. And I mean, I cut the sleeves off that sucker and I'd wear that to wrestling practice and, or when I'd go train in the gym and and, man, I, I sweated the ink right off that thing. Hey, I, I really did. I mean, I thought I was bad news, brown boy, uh, but anyway, um, so like staring down into the trunk, um, all serious like and Dax, he, he finally kind of says, huh, I guess I don't have a gas can. Oh, huh, man. <laughs> so, I, I get I, I love just his so his nonchalantness to all of it. But uh, anyway, this leads to yet another great exchange between Dax and Ray, which reveals a little more uh, about uh, each of their characters. Yeah, here's
0: an idea. Get your gas gauge fixed. Uh, well, at least I have a car. You're so incontinent. You mean incompetent? Whatever. You know I get my words mixed up when I get nervous. Uh, you must be nervous a lot. This is all your fault. I don't want to come here in the first place. I mean... Oh, I-, I forgot. You're the world's best mechanic, so this would never happen to you. Well, this is one hell of a getaway plan. We didn't just knock off a bank, you idiot. Something big is happening here. Something big, and from what I can tell, pretty bad. So excuse me if I don't have everything figured out. Every time you plan something, it goes to shit. Every single time. It does not. Yeah, you ruined my bachelor party. You weren't even getting married! The strippers didn't know that! Guys!
1: Yeah, so Dax apparently got Ray to go on the trip, even though he had no desire to go. And as he says that, um, you literally see the wind being sucked right out of Eddie as he like hangs his head and sort of mopes off like Charlie Brown. But Ray, uh, in that exchange, he mentions that Dax ruined his bachelor party, even though he was just, you know, kind of lying to some strippers in order just to get a free lap dance. But the reason I think this is kind of worth mentioning, though, is because the title card at the beginning of the film told us that Ray is secretly heartbroken. So did Dax, you know, somehow have something to do with Ray not getting married? Um, You know, uh, what's the deal there? But before the shit talking, you know, starts to escalate into like a full-fledged slap fight, you know, Eddie steps into the conversation and kind of calms the two quarreling men uh, by informing them that, you know, there's a a town nearby. So it's decided that they're going to hike and Dax... Uh, talks to Eddie like um, you know he's a first grader here. He's like, "Good job, buddy." Like, uh, "Do you have your medicine?" You know, um, and that causes Ray just to like flip his shit. Uh, he's like snapping back, "Quit treating him like a baby." Uh, and I, I honestly, I gotta agree with Ray a little here um, because he does. He really sort of talks to Eddie. Uh, he really kind of, really like be he, he babies him. He really kind of does baby him. Um, but, uh, we'll get more to that. But, uh, anyway, a very concerned Eddie, he kind of like watches him storm off and Dax kind of goes over and he puts his arm around him and he kind of, once again, reassures him like, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Uh, you know, don't worry about it. You know, Ray's always been like that and I've always been the verbal punching bag and I'm always going to be. And so kind of with that is his nerves are calm and the three men sort of set off walking down this gravel road. As they saunter into town, um, Ray, he stops for a smoke break because, you know, no matter what situation, good or bad, the end of the world could be happening. Uh, you're always going to have that, that, that Indian that's going to stop and smoke. About, you know, have a smoke about it. Uh, it's just, that's just who we are as a people. Uh, we, we love our, our tobacco. That's for sure. But uh, they're noting um, like all the same carnage that they've been witnessing for like the last fifty miles or so. Um, it's just basically like the land is scattered with dead folks. But uh, here they they quickly kind of realize that this is probably a, a much bigger problem than they first realized because they're standing in the middle of the street and they're shouting to anyone within earshot and nobody answers there's not one you know you hear a sound there's no sound basically not even an echo so with no answer it is assumed that like they're the only ones in this town that are alive so ray then takes it upon himself to holler at dax like uh, hey let's go find a filling station and let's get some gas and so uh, Dax, excuse me, he, he walks into this, this service station. Um, he's like in the office, I guess. And he sees the attendant and she's lying face down on the counter and she's dead. Let's just say that she's laying on the face, uh, laying down face down on the counter and she's dead. So he kind of goes in for a closer look. And this is a really super fantastic tension building scene. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's slow motion and you kind of have the, the atmospheric, you know, soundtrack, you know, that, that's going and he's like gently like tapping her on the shoulder uh, and as she's face down, her eyes are open and there's like blood oozing out of her mouth and it's one of those jump scare moments that you just anticipate, but I love the fact that it never comes. So he goes over to the phone on the wall and he picks it up and all he gets is a busy, busy signal. So now we have a map. First we had a map in this movie and now we have a phone hanging on a wall. So again, super dated, <laughs> this movie. Uh, but frustrated you know, by just getting a busy signal, he like slams the phone back into the receiver and he, he makes his way back over to the dead woman on the counter. But this time he's like, Poking her like a little bit harder with his finger, he's like kind of like almost pushing her with his finger, and it's so funny because like each time he pokes her, he he, like pokes her and he like jumps back like three feet, like and kind of ducks and faints, like he's, you know, he's getting ready to get slapped or something, but he realizes that she's not moving, and so he kind of goes over and he apologizes to her. And he kind of like grabs her uh, by the shoulders. And it's at this moment that jump scare gets you because Ray swings the door wide open and he like real recklessly like starts questioning, like, what are you doing trying to cop a feel? Um, So it's so funny because the relationship between these two brothers is is so spot on. It's hilarious. Um, So, so funny that scene. So Dax, he kind of like quickly he recovers and he's like, ah, I was doing no such thing. I was checking to see if, if uh, she's like all the others, um, because he says like, it's like they're asleep or something. Um, their eyes are still open and, and you know, they, they look peaceful is kind of what he says. So. Um, he asks Ray for some assistance in helping him move her he tells him like hey there's a gas can like right there underneath her feet but we kind of got to move her so we can get to it and so in another really funny scene like Ray walks over and he like just shoves her to the floor and he says like out of the way white woman Uh, I I just I can't I cannot with this movie it's so funny that scene out
0: of the way dead white woman (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh my god, it's so awesome He like violently like shoves her to the ground when Dax was like trying to be all like gentle with her Oh, it's so funny Um, But anyway, so we see Eddie uh, The next shot is this Eddie, he's in the bathroom And he's like washing his hands And he's like checking himself out in the mirror Uh, He's like pulling down his eyelids uh, For some reason, he's checking his throat He's, He's like just making sure he has a pulse Um, Then suddenly, like, the bathroom stall door starts, like, violently shaking. So he, like, quickly, like, whips around. He puts his back up against the wall. And the door is just, like, juddering, like, so badly that you think it's about to just, like, come right off the damn hinges. Uh, Meanwhile, outside, though, uh, Dax and Ray, they've kind of finished putting gas in the gas can. And they're, they're arguing about whether or not to take a different car. And Ray, he's like pointing to this really nice car, just like sitting out in the middle of the street. And he, he nudges Dax and he's like, hey, man, let's, let's take that one. And Dax, again, like true to his character, uh, his like goody goodiness, he's like, no, we, we can't do that. It's stealing. But I got to agree with Ray here. Uh, at this point, it's about survival. Uh, am I right? Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it, it's really is anybody really going to care whether or not you took a more reliable car? I mean, could they blame you? Um, you know, if, if it involves getting you to safety, like what difference does it make if everybody's dead? Like who cares at this point? It's all, you know, everybody for themselves, but uh, come on, Dax, uh, you got to unpucker that butthole a little bit. Uh, suddenly though, um, from behind um, a mechanic comes like busting out uh, of this like, alley i guess it's like a i can't really tell but it's like a like an alley i think but he comes like shouting from the garage or whatever the alley and he's like aliens did it and it startles and confuses you know both men and he's like wailing and he's shouting and eddie comes out of the bathroom and like everybody's terrified at this point
0: who are you what aliens from outer space Uncle? Hey! Hey! Hold on, buddy. This is my nephew, Eddie. There's not now, but now Eddie. This is um It's
1: Clooney. What? He said he's Looney. No Clooney. Okay, so if there's one gripe that I have about this movie, it's this character, Chris Clooney. Uh his character is like this inept mumbling, rambling, socially awkward buffoon who has no idea uh, how to carry on a rational conversation with a human being. The title card you know, tells the audience that he is loony or secretly loony. So I guess he's supposed to be like a little cracked out, but uh, not this like over-the-top exaggerated caricature. Uh, the best way I can kind of describe him is if you take everything that you love about Screech Powers from Saved by the Bell, um, if you take away all the, all the things that you love about him, then you have Clooney. So he's super annoying. Um, at first, it's like mildly amusing and it's kind of funny. Uh, but the, the joke kind of quickly starts gnawing at your nerves every time that he appears on screen. And you're going to see what I mean as the movie moves forward. But, uh, and and I, I do get it. Uh, I, I, I do get it because, you know, in a movie like this um, with such a serious subject matter, you need comic relief. You know, you need someone to say something witty or, or do something funny, you know, to kind of let the audience take a break from all the suspense or carnage and just kind of breathe and laugh a little bit but you already have that character it's ray he, he's our comic relief so coupled with the fact that you have um ray and clooney they're, they're like the entirely polar opposites you know clone clooney just he feels a little extra uh, in my opinion in my opinion Plus his little quips um, and his little ticks are are more baffling and kind of weird than they are funny. And and that's just my opinion. Um, I couldn't wait for him to become zombie fodder uh, quick enough because that's what he's there for. I think, you know, like we don't meet up with him till he's like 30 minutes into the movie. He doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. He's just sort of there to become zombie food. uh, And we just wait around for that moment to happen. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm being a little too hard on the character because he does tell everybody that he lost his wife and child during the pandemic. So I, I guess that would traumatize anyone, but I don't know. It is it is what it is.
0: I'm Chris Clooney,
1: but everybody just
0: calls me Clooney. Okay. Okay, well, I, I'm Dax. This is my... My brother Ray and you met Eddie. Clooney, Clooney. Uh do you work here? Are you a mechanic? Are you guys native? I'm native. Uh yeah, we're Comanche. Nomina. Numma, huh? That's the word for our people. What tribe are you? Everyone they just fell. Yeah. Do you do you know what's happening? Have you heard anything? Aliens. I can't speak their language. Okay. Clooney, we're going to go now. Wait. I can't let you guys Whoa. go Whoa. All human here. Clooney, put the gun away. Where are you guys going?
1: So at this point, Clooney pulls out like a little 38 and he starts like waving it around at the men. And he's talking about how like they came um, from the skies and everyone just kind of fell over. Um, And he's using his gun to, like, point point with, basically. And then for no reason, he puts the gun in his mouth and he squeezes the trigger. But instead of, like, turning his skull into a river birch canoe, it's revealed that the gun is actually a water gun. And then he asks them, like, where did you guys come from? Uh, Where are you guys going? And then they all tell him, like, we're trying to go someplace safe. And Clooney begs the men, like, take take me with you, please. Let me go. Because... I, he tells him, like, I'm an eighth Native American, and my wife and my son, they would left me, and he doesn't know where they are, and he sort of, like, pleads to help, um, you know, help, like, help me find them, basically. And Dax, he, like, reluctantly agrees, um, and he promises, like, uh, you can go with us, but if you put me or my nephew or uh, anybody in our party, if you put us in jeopardy, Ray's going to kick your ass, and so it is agreed then that um, that, that Clooney's not going to do anything, and they all sort of like taking off, walking down the deserted road. So once they get going, um, Dax and Eddie kind of start making some small talk, and uh, Dax tells Eddie, um, you know, like, one of these days when you become a rich and famous doctor, you can fix my crazy back. Um, But it's at this point Eddie reveals uh, that he has uh, absolutely no desire to go to college. Um, And the only reason that he agreed in the first place uh, to go was because he kind of thought that Dax would would hate him if he didn't or or be disappointed in him. So the news really shocks uh, Dax and kind of saddens him, I guess, a little bit, too, just by the look on his face. Um, shocking because, um, it's revealed that the entire reason for this road trip was to drop him off. Um, so that's what, that's where they were going, uh, when they, when they started out the journey and it's at this moment though, that Eddie kind of like grabs his stomach, uh, out of nowhere and he kind of doubles over and, and kind of stumbles and kneels down, uh, on, on takes, like takes a knee basically. And Dax, like, starts shouting at Ray. He's like, help, help, like, Ray, come on. Uh, And and Ray reminds Dax that he's um, hyperglycemic and that he needs his pills. Uh, He's like, check his pockets. So Ray reaches in and kind of begins talking to him in Comanche. And he tells him, like, uh, relax, Uh, you know, eat this. And he gives him uh, a pill. And Eddie kind of slowly starts uh, coming out of this seizure or whatever And it's decided that uh, they need to get out of the heat Um, and that there's a school across the street. So they're going to take him there. Now the whole time this is going on, Clooney is asking Ray like really dumb questions like what's wrong with him? Is he an alien? Is he going to die? Uh, then like when he gives him the medicine, he's like, can I have one of those, those pills? So, um. You know, in, in the moment, I guess, you know, if it was me, I probably would have socked him in the mouth just for being an annoying little twit. But you can see, um, you know, by his actions and just by the way he talks and the things that he says, you, you really get a sense of how annoying the character is. But uh, anyway, they stand Eddie up and they kind of start uh, making their way for the school. Um, but before they walk away, Dax asks Clooney, he goes, hey, uh, go grab a gas can or go grab that gas can and um, Clooney replies something like is it my job and, and confused it's kind of a weird like, answer I guess and so like there, everybody's like confused and bewildered and Dax answers sure that's your job and this is sort of like a throwaway line and the reason why I'm kind of stumbling on it is because this really is the entire reason Clooney is in this film, is to carry carry the gas can. It's like the catalyst for his, his whole existence in this movie is to carry the gas can. So uh, it's just a really brief moment, but, man, it's, it's such a payoff um, as we get kind of further in the movie. So with everyone kind of pitching in now, they, they make their way inside um, the school, and they fashion like this little makeshift bed out of textbooks, and um, there's like a stuffed penguin or something uh, for a pillow. And Dax, he lays Eddie down, and again, he's kind of calmly reassuring him. You know, like for the fifteenth time, you're um, like, "It's gonna be okay, buddy. Just you know, like, just relax. Just take some deep breaths." And he's like patting him on the back, and he's like patting him on the head, and you know, he's telling him, you know, like, "I'm sorry for for not reminding you to eat when we were you know back at the gas station or whatever." and just by the way he's like coddling eddie it just completely infuriates ray um and he really begins to like holler at dax like stop babying him and again this is like the third or fourth time in the film that he says this and uh, of course you know dax is like i'm not babying him um but like he he you know he's like i'm not babying him your, your son like fainted on the side of the road like what am i supposed to do And Ray's like, well, he's never going to learn to pick himself up if you're like always there to do it for him. So we get even a little more backstory to to the brother's relationship. Would you stop babying him?
0: What? You're always carrying on blowing things without distortion. (sighs) Proportion. What the hell ever? He's not a kindergartner. Your son just fainted in the middle of the road. Well, he's not going to pick himself up if you keep doing it for him. What? You You remember what Dad used to say? The world's nothing but one big knockdown after another. Oh, you're given a parental lesson now. Oh, here we go again. I'm a bad father. No, I forgot. You're the world's best father. Guys. Guys! Ray, I feel better. No, you don't. You have a fever. Ray, go get the car. I'll wait here with Eddie. Who made you chief, Oh, I'm sorry. What do you think we should do for the safety of your son? You, who maybe sees him once a week, doesn't know what kind of pills he takes every day, missed his birthday because he was out partying? What do you think we should do for the safety of your son? Your Comanche sucks.
2: Order.
1: So, yeah, uh, we get the idea here that Ray has always kind of been a, been a bit of a loose cannon and Dax has always kind of been the, sort of the responsible one, you know, like Br- Ray's the one that sort of like uh, uh, breaks everything. And then, you know, uh, uh, Dax is the one that's always kind of there to pick up the pieces. And you know sadly like absentee fathers are a pretty common thing um you know not just even in native society but just society in general you know i'm a school teacher uh, by trade and um it's just it's insane the percentage of kids that are living in single parent homes today and i mean it's almost uh i mean i don't almost be truthful in saying that that it's it's the norm um nowadays um versus kids growing up with both parents in the house or at least like a step parent but um you know we don't really get the full backstory behind it but it is assumed here that ray is sort of a part-time dad and, and even kind of a, a crappy one at that but i do love the fact that um you know when it con- really comes time to, to to drive his point home you know dax stands up to his brother by speaking comanche and he tells him uh you go get the car and he you know you kind of get the feeling that it's a side of dax that no one rarely sees or no one if at all no one really sees that side of him so ray kind of storms off down the hall and, and he runs into Clooney, who absent-mindedly he's like gazing out the window um or well i guess he's standing at the front doors and there's like their glass doors and he's sort of looking out the doors and uh, ray walks up and he goes um and Clooney says i think i just saw an alien walk through the schoolyard and then Clooney's like um do you think they drink milk So it's, like, a question that has, like, zero relevance to anything. And Ray, of course, responds, like, who gives a shit, (laughs) which is really funny. But then he, like, proceeds to ask Ray, like, where are you going? And um, when it's discovered that that, uh, Ray told him, like, I'm going to go find a car, Clooney demands to go because he tells him, like, it's my job to carry the gas can. So we fade back to, like, the empty classroom, and Eddie's sitting there. And he's having, like, these horrible high school flashbacks. And there's uh, this white teacher is, like, drilling him with native history questions that he, he doesn't have the answers to. And she's, like, shooting off at the mouth about citizenship and right to vote. And he's, like, sweating profusely, like, like looking for a way, you know, out of, like, this educational annihilation, I guess. And the teacher um, finally tells him at the end of it, she's just like, you know why you don't know these things? It's because you're stupid. Um, and that just that that word I guess is like a trigger word because like Eddie starts to have like a near panic attack like he's his just starts like sweating rockets at this point point. Um, and she's like you don't belong in college and you know things like uh, you don't belong anywhere but it's pretty obvious that this is a dream sequence um, but he's kind of awakened gently by Dax he's kind of like tapping him on the back and uh, he wakes up and, and um, you know Dax hands him a can of pop and and they have this little heartfelt conversation about college.
0: If you really, truly
1: didn't want to go to college,
0: why didn't you tell me? I mean, we're on our way there, or work No, uh, I don't know. I didn't understand that. It's just, you wanted me to go so bad. I didn't want to disappoint you. Listen. My mom and dad, they didn't take care of things. So I had to grow up really fast. I want you to take your time growing up. Make mistakes, some mistakes. But you can never disappoint me. Let's make a deal. We're buds, right? Heights. No more mumbling from you or me. We're going to speak clearly to each other. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's pretty obvious from that conversation that Dax has invested uh, a lot of time and love and effort in just being there for Eddie, uh, you know, trying to be like, um, you know, like a father figure to him, basically, because he doesn't want him to end up, you know, making some of the same mistakes that uh, he was sort of forced to make um, growing up. And, uh, you know, by not having anybody there to, you know, kind of help him figure things out. You know, he wants to be the one to be there for Eddie. He wants to know that Eddie can rely on him no matter what. And since we're sort of led to believe that Ray isn't, um, like I said, clearly um, Dax is looking to be the father figure for him. But uh, the moment is broken up by like this shuffling noise uh, coming from outside and looking uh, very alarmed, almost frightened. Dax tells Eddie about his grandfather. He said, you know, grandfather uh, told, told me one time not to be afraid of noises in the dark, that they're just spirits there to guide him. And I love the way that Dax tells this because the way he says it, it's almost like he's trying to give, convince himself more than he is Eddie. Um, so, like, there's nothing to be afraid of, basically. So it's just a really cool little moment. Meanwhile, uh, we find Ray and Clooney walking along a dirt road. To, uh, it's probably close to sundown um, at this point. And Ray is trying desperately to figure out like what Clooney saw back at the gas station when all of the shit went down, basically. And, of course, he has no idea. Um, he's I, he's like, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, and then like, suddenly like, Ray stops in, in mid-sentence and he asks Clooney, he's like, did you hear that? And Ray is convinced like they're being followed, but by what or by, by whom he, he doesn't know. But Clooney of course is unmoved. He's like, I didn't hear anything um, of the sort. And so Ray just sort of chalks it up to him, like uh, a it up to like, I must be, must be paranoid or something. But now we cut back to the school and Eddie is still not feeling very well. Um, he needs food. Uh, you know, Dax kind of informs the audience that his blood sugar is dropping, and that um, you know he's gotten all that he can out of the vending machines. But he tells Eddie that uh, it's about ten minutes on foot, so he's going to try to run back to like the little gas station um, where they found Clooney and grab some food. At this, Eddie's eyes like really widen with terror as he realizes that he's about to be left alone for the first time. Uh, since this entire entire ordeal has taken place. And he, he tells Dax, like, you know, Uncle, please be careful, because uh, I didn't tell you guys this before, but I heard something in the bathrooms back there. And so this is, like, the first time that um, it's kind of insinuated that they're not alone, basically. But Dax uh, reassures him again, you know, like, I'm going to be fine, little buddy. Just stay put and, you know, like, stay out of harm's way. So right after that, like, um, we cut back to Ray and Clooney and they're still walking along like this road, uh, and it's nighttime now it's, it's pretty dark and Ray once again stops suddenly and he like, he jumps out of his skin. He's like, wow, like what the hell was that? Um, but it was a cat like brushing up against his leg because, uh, in the, the ADR there's like a cat noise, like, like you know, whatever. And it's funny, though, because of the way he reacts. Like, he, he, like he just saw, like, a or, or something like that just, like, flapped up and, like, barfed up by guts on his shoulder or something. But Ray, he's, like, hooting and hollering, and he's, like, jumping around, like, in a circle, um, like a cat in a rocking chair factory. It, it's hilarious. Um, but he leans up against, like, this abandoned truck to, like, kind of sort of gain his composure. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, this zombie uh, leaps up out of the bed and starts attacking Clooney um and this is the first time that we see a full-fledged like walk walking corpse on screen and the it's the scene goes by quick but the the zombies makeup is kind of like that gray ghoulish um uh you know george romero dawn of the dead uh corpse uh corpse paint i guess so if you've seen the movie you know what i'm talking about but it's like that bluish gray that's kind of what the makeup looks like here but anyway the two men they like push the zombie away from Clooney, but uh not before Clooney gets bit on the shoulder and as the zombie sort of staggering to kind of get back to his feet they make a, a beeline for the gravel path uh, just trying to put enough distance between them uh and, and the zombie but uh like this is a free for it's a pretty good jump scare because it's one of those things that you don't really expect um there's no kind of lead up to it or anything like that Um, It just, it happens so fast. So that that one kind of got me a little bit. So good job, bro. That was a great one. Meanwhile, though, um, we cut to Dax and he's back at the gas station where they picked up Clooney. And he's leaning over the counter where only a few hours before, you know, Ray, it's where Ray shoved the white lady to the floor. But he notices this time that her body's gone. And so he draws the conclusion that, hmm, body's gone somebody must have come and picked her up that must mean that help is on the way and that's awesome because um, you know just the native people, I think, as a general, when we see things sort of out of out of the ordinary, especially when it comes to to anything bizarre or possibly supernatural, you know, we immediately begin justifying those supernatural uh, uh, things with like the most out of bounds logic. Like, um, it's like if you were to find a body in an abandoned town and you haven't seen anyone else but dead people, and then you come back like an hour later, or so and that body's gone. Um, would that would your first thought be like, oh, helps on the way? So again, it's 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 funny, but he's he's struggling here, um, just sort of I guess to make sense of everything that's going on, and it's just it's just a great scene. But uh, he finds a backpack on the shelf, and he quickly like starts filling it up with essentials from the store. He's like grabbing battery, pow- like this battery powered radio, uh, beef jerky, water, chips, bean dip, batteries, flashlight, maps, et cetera. And he like slings the bag over his shoulder and he bounds out the door. Uh, So as he's walking along uh, across the gas pumps, he kind of starts hearing this indistinct howling. Um, Of course, he at first thinks it's dogs and he kind of starts picking up his pace a little bit. And he again tries to like reassure him, reassure himself like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm perfectly safe. I'm perfectly safe. There's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. But it's around this time that Ray and Clooney come busting through the school doors. Um, and they're all kind of huffing and puffing out of breath. And um, Ray asks Clooney, uh, like, what the hell was that thing? And in true Clooney fashion, you know, he responds, uh, oh, really a really big cat. And, you know, followed with, like, maybe it was an alien. And so, so Clooney has no idea. Um, but it doesn't matter. It, is, it doesn't matter to Ray, I guess, um, because he knows exactly what's going on. And I think he wanted, you know, he, he asked him just to, cause he wanted to, um, I guess, you know, make sure that he's not dreaming that, that Clooney saw the same thing that he saw. But Ray asked Clooney, he's like, give me that gas can so we can like get the hell out of here. Uh, to which Clooney states, uh, I dropped it when we were running. And so hilariously, like Ray punches Clooney, like right in the face, like knocking him flat on his ass. And it's at that moment that Eddie walks up and Ray asks him like, Hey, are you okay? And, and Eddie goes, oh, I'm, I'm dizzy. But Dax went to get some food, which um, kind of starts Ray's, you know, uh, Indian senses tingling, I guess he tells Eddie, he's like, uh, you need to get back, you know, into the classroom. Cause we saw some weirdos out there, but for some reason he neglects to tell him about Clooney being bit. And, um, I think, um, you know, I guess more than I, th- I guess. When I think about it, um, I don't know that if Eddie ever finds out, or if anybody ever finds out. To be honest, I'm trying to think, but I don't know. We'll, we'll keep going here, and maybe we can figure it out. But anyway, we we cut back to Dax, and he's walking along the road.
0: Wait a minute! I'm not supposed to whistle after dark. Bad luck. I take it back. Take it all back. I wasn't whistling after dark. I'm totally talking to myself.
1: Okay, so whistling after dark. Um, That, I'm not sure if this is just a native thing. I haven't really heard much about it outside of native communities. So um, I'm going to just say that it's a native thing. And as much as it gives me the willies, I think we should address um, whistling after dark. Uh, Bottom line, don't do it. Don't do it. In most Native communities, um, whistling at night is considered taboo. Um, It can bring bad spirits to you, especially if you hear whistling back. And if you ever whistle after dark and you hear a whistle back, never, ever turn around because that means that the spirits that you have gotten their attention and they're watching you. Now, I've also heard that whistling could be a shapeshifter, um, sometimes taking on an animal form and most usually, uh, like a bird or even, um, uh, like an owl or something like that. And that, um, if you do see an animal after you whistle after dark, you never try to run. You just walk slowly away because if you run, um, You could hurt yourself trying to get away or worse and the spirit sort of feeds on that panic or it feeds on your, it feeds on your emotions basically and and the more worked up you get, the more worked up the spirit gets. You know, when as kids growing up, you know, we were always told not to whistle after night or not to whistle at night. But, you know, when we were teenagers, um, you know, we often did some stuff that we had been warned about. So I have a quick story. Um, This is a true story. It was probably like a summer night in, uh, I'm going to say 93, 93 probably, maybe 92. Um, It was about 1030 or so. And me and a buddy of mine and my cousin, we were hanging out, you know, just doing teenager stuff in this park called Hakey Creek. Uh, Which was in the middle of nowhere at that time. It's like right between Tulsa and Bixby um, in Oklahoma. But um, back then, um, it was like in the middle of nowhere. Today, there's like a lot of stuff that's kind of been built up there around there. But um, back in these days, there was like nothing around. Um, There may have been like a few faint house lights um, that you could sort of see from far off in the distance. But for the most part, like, we were in complete darkness for the most part, except for, like, moonlight. You could still see things just because of the bright moon. But the four of us were, we were, like, standing around my cousin's truck, and we were sort of laughing, and we're, you know, just doing teenager stuff. We're probably drinking Milwaukee's Best and just kind of shooting shit. And um, the only other sound that we could hear, um, other than us talking, was the radio. And that was turned up, you know, not too loud, but pretty loud. Um, we were able to talk over it basically, and we were cranking. Um, I remember this: the Beastie Boys, um, the album *Ill Communications*, and on that that uh, that that cassette tape uh, was a song called *Flute Loop*. And um, there's a part um, in the beat that has this sound that my cousin started whistling along to. And if you know the song, um, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's catchy as hell, and we weren't even thinking about it. He was just doing it because like this like I said the song is just like it's like an earworm and you can't get it out of your brain once you hear it um you know anybody could have done it you know just kind of whistled along instead of singing along but anyways um one of us um were like oh my god like reminded him like hey we're not supposed to whistle after dark you're not supposed to whistle after dark and my cousin was like oh yeah like like superstition, like bullshit. I'm going to whistle now. So he whistled again. It wasn't along with the music this time. He just whistled. Um, and you know, (laughs) we're getting kind of ballsy at this point. (laughs) So we like turned the radio down and he started whistling again and then we like waited and it was like super quiet and he whistled again. And then before you know it, um, we were like, Hey, did you hear that? Um, we went to the cab and then we like turned the radio like completely off and um, my buddy goes w- do that again whistle again and my cousin he, he whistled the tune again he whistled the flute loop tune and then like really faintly um, we all heard it we all heard the same notes kind of whistled back at us and we were like whoa like what the hell like we're like did you hear that? So we were all like looking around and like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And Like, do it, do it again. Do it one more time. And of course, you know, we are trying to make up possible sources of where the noise is coming from too. And so we were like, what is that? And they were like, it's an echo. Like it's an echo. And then like, no, it's a bird. You know, it's gotta be a bird. And then I think I was like a bird. Like what kind of bird knows beastie boys songs? Like, what if it's an owl? Like, wait, whistle again. And so At this point, we're like, "Don't, don't whistle again!" Actually, don't do it. And he, he did, he he did it again. My cousin whistled again, and this time it was like an immediate reply, but it wasn't faint. At this point, it was like louder, Um, and it was pretty close. I would say maybe like twenty yards away, probably. And you know, just like little kids, like we just like panicked. We were like yelling and cussing and just trying to like get into the truck at all at the same time. We were like piling in the cab and like you know fumbling around with the keys trying to get the damn thing started and man we sped back down back back to town and to this day um that that is a lesson that i have learned like do not ever whistle at night so um but back to the movie here as he's walking along um he's followed by uh excuse me dax okay so let's get back to the movie really quick so dax is walking along the road after the little whistling thing And, um, he's followed by this older zombie and he's walking like two feet behind him. And, um, the zombies like mimicking his every move. So, um, true to fashion, you know, Dax whistled and it got the attention of the zombie. So now the zombies like following him, but instead of mimicking his sound, he's mimicking his movement. So like when Dax walks, he walks. And when, you know, Dax stops, like the zombie stops too. Dax turns and, and the zombie turns, like just staying right out of the uh, out of his eye line, basically out of the line of vision. And it's a really cool shot, and it's one that they have to have well, been well rehearsed because um, you know, they got to hit those marks at the same time. It's almost sort of like a Three Stooges gag or something, but it's definitely played for comedic effect, and it works great. Like I said, it reminded me of something you'd see like in a Three Stooges short. But I also find it kind of refreshing um, and different, you know, how docile and gentle this particular zombie is. He has, like, this childlike sense of wonder or or, or playfulness to him, I guess. And, you know, he never once, like, tries to attack him or gnaw his face off or scratch him or hurt him. He just, like, mirrors his every movement. So, it's just something different. It's a nice, refreshing change from, like, every other screen portrayal that you've ever seen. But anyway... um, Dax at this point he still doesn't see the zombie so he's like trying to calm himself down he takes out the little transistor radio or the little you know battery powered radio uh, from the backpack and he flips on some music and then when he the zombie hears the music he like reaches out and just like snatches the radio away from Dax and he starts like petting it like a cat like he doesn't do it out of anger it's just like, um, like two little toddlers like you know fighting over a toy basically and Dax like it startles him obviously and he like runs for the hills and as soon as Dax is off screen the zombie starts sneezing and again I've seen a lot of zombie movies uh I've never seen a zombie sneeze in a movie so yeah there's that so now we're back at the school and we find Clooney he's in the bathroom and he's like aggressively like washing his face off um and his hands too but he keeps like looking back and forth in the mirror um you know like Real Like, he's paranoid um, before he then starts, like, clutching his head. Um, You know, the soundtrack fills with, like, this ambient, like, groan sound. And it's triggered, I guess, this massive migraine headache or something. Because he's got his hands, like, cupped tightly over his ears. And he's, like, grunting in torment. And he's, like, stumbling around before he finally, like, makes his way through the stall door. And then, like, in the stall door, this is all off camera. You can kind of hear him dry heaving. And he's hacking And you think that this is the part that when he, you know, he comes out of the bathroom, you know, you you expect him to be like a full fledged zombie, but he's not. He just sort of falls through the door and he staggers backwards towards the mirror and he pulls back his coveralls. But this time um, it's reveals that like the the bite that he got, it's like festering and it's like oozing and, and it's just like just disgustingly like leaking out all over his clothes. Um, it's the zombie bite obviously. And he even goes so far as to like cover his nose to try try to stifle like the putrid over uh, the putrid, the putrid odor, I guess that's sort of like, um, you know, seeping from the womb. But meanwhile, um, Dax is back at the school and he's also out of breath and he goes to the classroom and he's carrying the provisions that he had grabbed from the convenience store. And he kneels down beside Eddie and, um, you know, uh, Gently tries to wake him up, I guess, and he tells him, like, hey, you need to eat. And Ray, of course, is there, and he tells Dax, like, man, just leave him alone. Let, let the boy sleep. And the argument, though, is halted with when Clooney, fresh out of the bathroom, comes, like, bursting through the door. Um, he he tattletales, uh, like, like a six-year-old would, to Dax about um, Ray hitting him in the face. And then, like, after this little squabble, this little verbal squabble between Ray and Clooney erupts about the lost gas can, the moment is broken up by the friendly zombie that Dax had encountered on the road. And he sort of comes like blundering in and he's holding the radio. Um, but this time we get a good look at him. And he's he's got like khaki pants on and, and like a long sleeve like dress shirt. But for some reason he has this I'm with stupid t-shirt. And it's like on over his dress shirt. Um, he holds the little radio like directly outward and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs (laughs) and he like lunges towards Ray um, who easily just like sidesteps him and he swings a textbook um, like hits him in the back of the head and it causes him to like crash head first into the chalkboard and as he slams into the chalkboard he's like drags his rotting nails like down it and uh, just gives me the uh, goosebumps just just talking about this but he falls to his knees and then he gets up and he turns around and he like shoves the radio like directly into Clooney's terrified face.
0: What's with the radio? I found it earlier at the store. Then I dropped it when I ran into him. Well, I don't think stupid likes your taste in music. I think he likes the noise. Hey, 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 noise, noise. hey, noise, noise. Pretty noise.
1: So, yeah, like the zombie doesn't try to attack anyone um, I think he's, like, wanting the batteries replaced or something. Um, But in a moment of brilliance, like, Dax uh, makes the, like, the old Indiana Jones, like, switcheroo with the radio and his cell phone. And that noise that you heard, that little electronic kind of sound, was coming from his cell phone, which he kind of handed him. And while the zombie's sort of, like, rocking out to the ringtones, um, it allows um, uh, Dax, Ray, and Clooney to kind of slip away. Uh, So they make their way out into the hall, and... um, Eddie and Clooney and Ray are like hilariously like standing together, like on their tiptoes and their eyes are wide and they're like shocked with fright and Dax like turns around and he looks at him and he goes like, what? Like, what are you looking at? And then he like slowly turns and it reveals like this zombie horde, like slowly making their way towards them. And it's awesome. Cause he goes, Oh, says <laughs> so like matter of flat, matter of factly like replies, um, like oh shit, it's like so funny, like it's you have to see that scene, it's, it's hilarious, uh. But then the four men like tuck tail and they're like you know taking off down the hallway and they don't get very far though because they run straight into yet another zombie horde, uh, This time coming from the opposite direction, and then Dax he turns to see, um, I guess we'll call him stupid zombie. Um, Like, softly crying for help. Um, I guess he's wanting to get the music to come back on. And Dax is like, follow the noise, follow the noise. And, um, you know, hearing the sound um, coming out of the cell phone, not only does um, the stupid zombie start following the noise, the entire horde also turns and starts heading towards, like, stupid. So he, like, hands, like, stupid back the cell phone, and stupid's kind of, like, walking away. And then all the zombies sort of start following him. And then, um, you know, sort of stopping and turning on a dime, the four living people, the four living guys, um, they head the other way and they sort of jump and duck into the safety of a classroom so uh we're treated to like a real shaky cam horde montage here and there's like some real true gems amongst the the, the living dead here um you get like a, a high school football player um he's got the like the, the eye black like you know the, the makeup under his eyes you've got like a kid like uh, wearing like a bicycle helmet there's a school nurse and for some reason she has like a bloody surgical mask on there's like this crazy farmer looking dude and like completely the 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 most frightening one, though, is, like, this heavyset woman, and she's got, like, dread, like, I think it's, like, dreadlocks or something. But she is full into character, Bubba. She is, like, twitching and shuffling. Um, she reminds me more of, like, a, a meth head tweaker than a zombie. But I think that's really what makes that scene work, is, is like, her her commitment to, to the role, because it is pr- pretty horrific. But uh, once they've made... Um, once they've made it inside the classroom, um, Clooney like starts freaking out and he's like jabbering and he's hollering like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And then every uh, Ray does everybody a favor and like cold cocks him again. But this time, instead of like knocking him on his ass, he like knocks him smooth out. And there's like this other moment, um, though, that needs to, to be mentioned here. Um, it's for the first time in the entire film that um, Ray has his arm around Eddie and it's him. That's comforting him. And like Eddie's like leaning in on him, um, you know, almost like putting his head on his shoulder. And you can kind of see because um, Dax um, starts to, to do the same thing. He starts to like put his arm around Eddie. Um, but, you know, I guess Ray sort of beats him to the punch. And you kind of start to realize like Ray's starting to step up and he's doing what a father's supposed to be doing. Um, he's, he's taking in the moment there. He's really, you know, uh, comforting his son and letting him know like that he, that he's safe. And um, anyway, so the, 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 look on, on Dax's face here um, is like this, it's this look that you get of, of like, um, it's like a cross between like happiness, you know, joyous that, that, that Ray's doing what he's supposed to do, but also maybe a little disappointment. Um, that, you know, maybe I'm not needed anymore. And Rod it. he does a great acting job there, um, just delivering that sentiment, um, just kind of why his actions and his look. It, it was great. He did an awesome job right there. But once everything kind of settles down, um, Dax turns on the radio.
2: The reports that the catastrophe has wiped out most of the central United States, and authorities are scrambling to find answers about the strange occurrences. Officials are speculating that the cause was an airborne virus of some sort, and a terrorist attack has not been ruled out. But there have been no explosions or bombs reported. Repeat, the plague is airborne, like in the air and stuff. But making these strange circumstances even stranger, who wrote this crap? A deadly airborne illness has not seemed to affect Native American people. Repeat, Native American people seem to not be affected. Meanwhile, reports are starting to come in about sick people roaming the countryside and city streets. Some of them violent and very sick. Officials are speculating that the dead are coming back to life, but still being dead. A rendezvous point for survivors is being organized, but not until it's organized. Damn it, people! And until officials have cleared all health threats. The areas will remain under quarantine until further notice. Native American survivors should use caution and try to stay alive. No shit. Stay tuned to this channel for further updates as we update them. You're making me sound like a goddamn idiot. So,
0: let me get this straight. There's a plague that's wiping out everybody except the Indians. Of course, you know, we were the first ones here. We were the last ones to leave. That's fucking poetic justice. Watch your
1: mouth. Oh, freaking Ray. That's poetic justice. So, yeah, there's a, if you didn't catch that, there's an airborne virus that's both killing and um, bringing white folks back to life. But the virus doesn't affect Native Americans. So, where have I heard that before? Hmm. Oh, yeah. There was a movie that came out probably like 10 years freaking later called Blood Quantum. Somebody owes Rodzilla a check. <coughs> Jeff Barnby. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just kidding. Eogast. Oh, <laughs> uh, But, uh, hey, can we talk really quick, though, about that Edward D. Jr., uh, that Edward D. Wood Jr. Plan 9 from Outer Space dialogue? And I'm not sure if that, that was intentional or, or how or why Rod wrote it that way, but that was something that I picked up on right away. Um, you know, it's he's like, there's a plague and it's airborne it's like in the air and stuff uh and like when he says like a rendezvous point is being organized but not till it's organized so like if you've ever seen like um plan nine you'll you'll fondly remember Criswell spouting out um like greetings my friend we are all interested in the future for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives um and remember my friend future events such as these will affect you in the future um, so, yeah, and then, like, there's, like, that cheesy line, um, like, where Lieutenant John Harper, he's, like, um, um, one thing's for sure, Inspector Clay, or one thing's for sure, Inspector Clay is dead, murdered, and somebody's responsible. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen that, good luck, because it's, it's, could, if you've never seen it, it's kind of a hard movie to sit through your first time. You need to see it with, like, a, a group of people, because that's really what what makes it fun. But uh, I'm not sure, like I said, what the reasoning behind writing the scene that way was. But it's funny regardless. And um, anyway, after Ray gets his laugh, uh, Clooney like pops up and he's like, wow, can you believe it? We're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. And Ray asks him like, how much native are you? And Clooney replies like, I'm an eighth. And then Dax um, kind of looks at him um, because, again, he's the only one that knows that he's been bit. And he goes, are you feeling okay And then Clooney, of course, is like, yeah, man, I'm great. I've never felt better, like a tip-top shape. He's, like, hopping around. He's, like, shadow boxing. So that is, like, the first, like, genuine, like, laugh that I actually laughed because he did something funny. Uh, And it is. It's really funny, that scene. Um, Because, like I said, like, we, the audience, we know that he's bit. And Dax, excuse me, Ray knows that he's been bit. Um, So it's just a matter of time before he turns. Um, But he also mentions, um, you know, that his wife left him and took his son. And that he's desperate to find them and he tells them you know like hey we we need to go to the rendezvous point because my wife and and my son might be there but uh before the 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 final plan i guess is hatched uh, a zombie again like comes suddenly like screeching in over ray's shoulder causing him to like screech like this high-pitched wail, like real loud uh, he squeals, like, so loud, like, it scares the zombie, and so that was a good little gag there. And the zombie, like, quickly collects himself and, and kind of starts chomping and gnashing again at Ray, and then Dax yells out, like, why is he doing that? Like, what does he want? And uh, Ray says something like, because um, he wants to eat my precious native brain. And, like, uh, Dax grabs a pencil off the desk and, like, shoves it in the zombie's neck, and like it's this big thick stream of like crimson comes like you know, like pouring out, and he starts like squealing and like pawing at the air. And Ray's like, "What did you do that for? You got you just made him mad. Like, have you ever seen a zombie movie, man? You got to ram it in his brain, put it in his brain. It's just so funny because it's it's just oh man, I, I it's just great." And so, like Daxton, he pulls out the he pulls the pencil out of his neck, and he, uh, rams it like directly into the the zombie's skull, causing instant death.
0: How's that for that poisoning you, zombie bitch?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's awesome! Like straight out of the the you know, ripped from uh, Commando or something. It's awesome that one liner. But right after the zombie collapses, uh, Eddie does the exact same thing. He sort of falls over to he's very weak at this point and, and Dax uh, tells the group that it's crucial now at this point that they get to the rendezvous point as soon as possible. And it's decided that Ray and Clooney uh, are going to try to make a break for the park and they're going to retrieve the gas can. They're going to get a car. They're going to pull around front. They're going to pick everybody up so he he starts like a, a ray kind of starts like warring warrioring up he's like grabs the broom handles and he's like swinging them around he like throws a, a Clooney a mop and uh before they leave he tells eddie he's like um you know hey you need to make sure you take good care of uncle and eddie hands him a piece of paper of some sort and then like boom they they head right out the door so they're making their way down the hall and they're heading towards the exit when of course um, there's a horde blocking the door uh, The rock music kicks in And they slowly advance to start You know to engage the mob uh, With some melee And Ray and Clooney have This conversation
0: Man I hope we don't look like janitors Look at that hoochie Kinda hot I mean if she wasn't the walking dead
2: no
0: Want to know something man? What? I'm glad I'm not doing this alone Yeah, me too, man. Eddie's mom left me too. It hurts, doesn't it? I always blame myself. I blamed Eddie. Wow, that's the first time I ever said that out loud. You called me crazy. Sorry about that. It's alright,
2: man. I am crazy. She should see me now.
1: So, yeah, uh, the whole reason, I guess, that uh, Ray has sort of this chip on his shoulder about Eddie is because he blamed him for his wife leaving. And um, I know there has to be more to that story. But sadly, we don't really get the time to, 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 to get that because there's heads to squash and uh, they quickly kind of like mobilize and start like bashing in skulls uh, left and right just like leaving a, a pile of corpses in their wake as they both like barreled down their down the hallway towards the exit. but after disposing of a couple of zombies um, the men sort of reach the double doors to freedom and escape. Uh, meanwhile though we cut back to Eddie and Dax and Eddie is, is pretty sick at this point and he's slowly like slipping into delirium by asking like these random questions like, is this the end of the world? And, and like, am I am I sick because my mom's not Indian? Um, it's just just kind of weird, I guess. Just, you know, just strange questions. Um, but like through the hacking and coughing, um, Eddie finally asked Dax, like, um, why does Ray hate me so much? Uncle, does Ray
0: hate me? What? No. Sis, he doesn't, your dad he loves you. He just, he's not very good at showing it. Damn, this is radio, I'm sorry. I never got to dance up powwows like you did. Well, I think my dancing days are over with my funny back, but there's still plenty of time. He'll be dancing long after
1: I'm gone. What? So right after this conversation, Eddie gives Dax a cassette tape full of like powwow songs. And he tells him, like, I made it for you because um, the power of songs has a healing quality. And there's a little bit more discussion here about Dax's bad back. And, and um, you know, the characters consistently bring it up enough um, throughout the entire movie. So you know that there's going to be some kind of payoff for it. Um, it's going to factor in somewhere down the line, but anyway, Dax is so kind of like touched by the memento that he gives Eddie like this big hug only discover that he is, uh, burning up with fever and he tells him, um, Hey, I'm going to go find the nurses station and bring you back some Tylenol. So he heads back, uh, like out the door. So cut to Eddie and, or excuse me, cut to Ray and Clooney and they're like running down this dirt road. And they stop for a second so they can catch their breath. Uh, They begin to, uh, you know, kind of like try to put some pieces together and figure out like what's going on or like what are we going to do next. And Ray reminds Clooney that the man on the radio said that um, only people with Indian blood are immune. And it's at this point that Clooney reveals to Ray that he's been bitten. Um, But, of course, I think that Ray already knew that. But instead of like making a big deal about it, he goes, uh, like, man, you're going to be okay, you know. Um, he sort of has, like, a change of heart about him. And then Clooney starts in again with, like, the violent hacking. And he, like, falls to his knees. And, and Ray's, like, yelling, like, man, like, you, you know, don't you zombie out on me, <laughs> you know. And um, the gas can is, like, conveniently, like, within an arm's length of the men. And so they snatch it and they start running off. So, cut back to Dax, and he's rifling through some boxes in the nurse's station. And after kind of rummaging through several, like, boxes or whatever, he finally hits, like, the aspirin bingo. Uh, He hurriedly, like, makes his way back down to give it to Eddie, who's still sick in the bathroom, and he's, like, throwing up now. But when um, Eddie opens the door to the bathroom stall, he's met face-to-face with stupid, uh, you know, like the zombie with the flip phone. Um, and he like puts the phone in his face and Eddie immediately passes out. Now Dax, on the other hand, he's like running back towards the classroom, but he accidentally drops the aspirin and he bends down to pick it up and sure enough, that trick back that he's been talking about the whole movie, uh, finally pays off. Uh, he's now thrown his back out, reaching down to pick up the aspirin and he can't get up. He's like writhing in pain. So he kind of slowly starts crawling on all fours um, down the hallway. Eddie, uh, during all this is awakened by like the gentle tapping of stupid zombie with the flip phone. Um, the zombie is like begging him to either charge the cell phone or maybe make a call for him or just, you know wants to give it back to him because he keeps like pointing and tapping at the keypad. And Eddie's like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what you want. Just get out of here. Like, keep it. Like, I don't want the phone. Just keep it. So the zombie, like, sneezes a couple more times. And um, I guess it's revealed that zombies get sick in this universe, but I don't really know why or or what for what. I don't know. Um, Maybe he's allergic to Indians. I have no idea. But um, the disappointed zombie sort of, like, shrugs his shoulders and, like, slinks away. But Eddie uh, reaches over, and he grabs the transistor radio, and he switches it on.
2: Officials are saying that the plague has been a long-dormant strain of the same characteristics that cause Native people to be susceptible to diabetes, alcoholism, and other factors is the same thing that is saving them now. A rendezvous point in the area is set up at an abandoned airport. Repeat, all Native survivors should get their asses to the abandoned airport.
1: So the same daunting genetic trait that has led so many native people to uh, diseases such as alcoholism or diabetes or heart conditions and other health-related diseases is now somehow the reason that the plague doesn't affect them. So I guess it's sort of like that gene that uh, stops the plague for some reason. It's not really made clear how, but I guess that's really not the point. Um, but we also know in that little clip that the rendezvous point is now the abandoned airport. So we pick, uh, pick back up with Ray and Clooney, and they're desperately trying to get back to the school. And Clooney, again, is like clutching his head in agony, saying, like, I can't go on, man. Just go on without me. And he's hollering about, like, the noise, the noise. Uh, but it's only audible to him. Um, frustrated, like, Ray drags him into this bar that they stumble upon, hoping to use the phone. So it's kind of weird, like they're walking down this road and they like look up and all of a sudden like there's this neon lit bar. Um, so like, let's go in there and see if we can find a pay phone to call for help. But once inside the bar, um, instead of looking for a phone, Ray heads behind the bar looking for whiskey and he's leaning up against like the mahogany bar and um, Clooney's like, Ray, Ray. And he's like, hold on, man. Just like one drink and we'll get out of here. He's like, Ray, we have got to get out of here like right now. And it is revealed on the stage is this sort of motley crew of zombie strippers. And they're, they're dancing for like a birthday boy zombie who's like tied to the pole. And embarrassingly enough, if you've ever been to a, you know, a strip club and it's somebody's birthday, you know what I'm talking about but uh you know again <laughs> i've seen a lot of zombie movies in my day but i have never in my life seen a scene like this one the zombies are wearing like bikinis or, or bathing suits first of all so there's no nudity in this film at all so that sort of makes the scene kind of awkward already uh, not to mention that uh they're kind of staggering around they're 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 acting more drunk i think than, than they do dead but uh it's just it's kind of funny but the birthday boy he's like wearing boxers and he looks like he's zonked out on hashish or something it's just too funny and ray uh with a cock smile of course he's like yeah these are my kind of zombies so uh before we get to find anything else out about what's going on there um we, we go back to eddie who's like fumbling around with the radio uh, but he's dizzy and he's disoriented and he's frightened. He's uh, crouched behind the table in the nurse's office and he starts to hear like what sounds like footsteps uh, just outside um, the door. So we assume that it's like a zombie horde like passing, um, you know passing down the hallway, I guess, passing the classroom. So we cut back quickly to the strip club and this time now um there's like a psychobilly billy band um, like a psychobilly billy bluegrass band and they're like set up on the stage uh, along with the strippers and but they're not really like playing psycho billy style music I, I i think it's just the soundtrack i don't think it's supposed to be what they're actually playing but they're mainly just kind of like strumming and plucking away incoherently on their instruments um Uh, But Ray and Clooney, they're like crawling on their hands and knees, like trying to sneak out the door. Why they just didn't run, like, I don't know, but uh, I guess they're already in the bar. They've already been seen. So like, I don't know why they feel the need they need to sneak out at this point, but I guess the the script calls for them to sneak out. So they're sneaking out. But uh, Ray, uh, he makes a remark like on the way out the door. He's like, man, if I had a dollar, I'd tip that one right there. But at the uh, when he says that Clooney like jumps up and is like I have a dollar, and he's like ignorantly starts like walking towards the zombie with this dollar bill in his hand. Uh, but before he makes it to the stage, um, this old grandma zombie like pushes Ray uh, to the floor, and she starts like chomping and clawing at him, and he sort of like backs him into the stage um, with a swift boot to the jaw. Though he like knocks her down to the floor. And Clooney at this point, he is also on the floor. And he's like gasping and wheezing again. So his, his headache is back. Uh, Ray goes over and he like um, finds his bite mark, like oozing and inflamed. And Clooney's like begging him like, man, don't leave me here. Don't leave me. Like, I don't want to die. But uh, the horde is like starting to advance. And so Ray at this point, he kind of has to make a decision. Like, do I just leave this guy and save myself? Um, or do I try to like fight, fight, fight our way out? But before he can make the call the zombie band like starts playing um now like the, now they're playing some some kind of music and the horde um, turns their attention towards the stage because we've established the fact that they're distracted by noise or or music and so the zombies then turn their attention from the two men and they kind of start following the noise that's coming from the amplifiers and that conveniently lets ray and Clooney make their escape Meanwhile, though, uh, Dax, he's um, still crawling on all fours as well, um, down the hallways of the school, though. Um, He's trying to, like, make his way back to Eddie, but the hallways are, like, completely blocked by, like, 25 zombies either way. And they're all kind of, like, lolling around. But he turns and he, like, goes into this adjacent classroom. And now we cut back to Ray and Clooney. And they're gassing up a car. Um, I mean, Ray, well, Ray is. Ray's gassing up the car. We don't really see Clooney anywhere, but we can hear him um, off camera, and he's coughing really loudly. And Ray's calling for him, like, like Clooney, Clooney, let's go, come on. But he, he doesn't answer. And um, now he's hollering, like, let's go, let's go. Like, I'm leaving with or without you. Like, you have got to go if you're coming with me. And as Ray turns to get in the car, Clooney comes up from behind him with, like, this giant tree branch and just, like, knocks the shit out of him. Um, and with Ray, like, knocked out, I guess, Clooney gets in the car and, and drives off. And he's like, I'm not going back to that school. I have to find my wife. I have to find my son. And um, he's like, once she sees me, she'll she's, she'll take me back. I know she will. So um, now we've kind of hit. Well, he drives off, by the way. So now we sort of hit, like, the all is lost moment in the script where he drives away. Um, he show, So he drives away, and then, like, some stuff happens. But um, just to kind of pick back up with him, um, like, ten minutes later in the movie, it's this really quick clip, and I'll kind of tell you what happens with him. He drives back to the gas station, Clooney does, where he joined up with the group, and he walks into the, the bathroom, um, or basically the alley, the alley where he came from. He walks back into there, um, but he walks out of the camera lens or like the camera angle or whatever. He walks off camera and we hear him say, oh, there you are. So that's sort of where where he goes. He goes back to the gas station and we assume that he he found his wife and son, I guess. But anyway, um, so while he's off doing that, Dax, um, so I guess, okay, so now we're back at the school. (laughs) There's a lot going on right now. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around it here. So while all that's going on, how about that? Dax um, pulls out the powwow mixtape tape that Eddie had given him earlier and he puts it in a boom box um, that he found in the classroom and he hits play and like the drums start kicking and, and you know, Dax like cranks the volume up, the volume up to 11 and, um, you know, now, now the singing's kicking in and when the music kind of starts to hit, um, the zombies all start making their way down the hall um, following the noise. And this allows Dax to escape. And then he hooks back up with Eddie. And we fade into like this semi-conscious Ray um, who's bleeding from the head. And he realizes the desperation of his situation, basically. And so with no other options, he offers up a prayer to Creator.
0: Dear Great Father, I I know I haven't talked to you in a long time don't know what you got going on here. But my grandpa said, if I ever need your help, to just ask Well, I'm here, now, asking. Not for me, because I know I don't deserve it, but for Eddie, who I love very much, even if he doesn't believe me and for Dax, who finally needs me. I know I gotta change some things, and I will. So just hear me now. And let me find a shortcut so I don't have to walk all that long way back. Oh yeah. And please don't let me get eaten.
1: Man, there is so many uh, just spot-on moments in this movie, and this is one of them. This is like a perfect example of Indian culture. Um, You know, I've spoken a few times um, about the lines um, between, like, traditional ways and church ways. And to this day, um, you know, there still is a very distinct line between the two. And, um, you know, there are some who believe and practice the old ways, and there are some who have been in doctrine into church ways. And there are some, yeah, that, that sort of like, you know, try to balance both. But Ray hasn't spoken at all about his faith. So we assume by his choices and his behaviors that he doesn't really put much stock into like a white Jesus. And Rod in this, uh, is, you know, he's really smart. Um, I got to say that again, you know, keep hammering that point because he, he really is so um just like really you know you know keyed in to keep it you know ambiguous you know he doesn't pray like god or, or or heaven or anything like that he just says father and he just leaves it open to interpretation and i just again i just love the fact that he asks um you know creator to, to, to show him a shortcut that is like such a native thing to do such an indian thing to do um let's be honest right i mean and then like after his prayer he's like you know don't let me get eaten <laughs> so again it's just it's awesome like that is such a great moment and just a wonderful piece of writing right there so after his prayer he like gets up and he starts making his way back to the school and now we fade into the boom box and it's blaring like drum music a pow out music and Dax and Eddie are both like literally like literally leaning on each other as they walk down the hallway I think you're right.
0: The music's protecting us. Yeah. I'm ready to go to college now. Well, this just doesn't get any better, does it? Come on. Stay with me, Eddie. We're going to be okay. Do you know know how I know that? We're we're Comanche. Nomina. Descendants of Wild Horse. We stand strong and proud. And let's just get out of here.
1: Yeah, that's so awesome right there. So there's that moment in the clip where you hear it kind of like going click, 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 click. That's like where the tape is being eaten by the boombox. And that scene is so awesome, that little line of dialogue where he's, like, trying to have the heroic warrior talk to Eddie. And I love the fact that he just sort of, like, he's trying to, like, summon all of his, his wisdom that he can. And he just, like, runs it in the ground before he finally is like, I'll just forget, it. let's get out of here. Because, like, all of that stoic, you know, you know like native wisdom, that just bullshit, that's so, like, typical in your usual Hollywood narrative. You know, it's it's that kind of talk or speech, you know, this We don't hardly ever use that in everyday language, but it's so hammered into our brains that it's kind of like become canon for for a lot of people to believe like that we really talk like that, and it's just ridiculous. So, um, you know, years before uh, Sterling sort of made a a jab at it with with, uh, William Knifeman, there is, you know, here here you have Dax doing the exact same thing. So. Cut to the Kurosawa screen wipe. Uh, we find Ray in Arena House, and it's not really explained like how he got there or why he's there or anything. So I'm just assuming that creator showed him that shortcut that he that he was praying about, and it somehow led him there. But um, this is really cool because um, it really harkens to a favorite director of mine named Jim Jarmusch. Um, He has a certain style and one of his little, um, I guess, trademark uh, shots is is like a static shot where like the camera remains still and like the movement and just goes on whether it's out of frame or not. The camera never moves. It never follows the motion. So we get like this Jarmouche static shot of Ray and he's like going through the front door of this house. And he makes his way to the kitchen um, or the dining room. We don't really, we can't really tell. But um, before the soundtrack is kind of like filled with like these groans and growls of like this, this family of zombies. And then you hear like a loud single gunshot. And it's followed by complete silence. And then he like quietly leaves. And the whole time, like I said, the camera, it never moves. And this scene is here really to establish Ray... Uh, getting a shotgun and a truck, but he also has this really awesome line.
0: Man, turn all these white zombies!
1: <laughs> oh, you know, with my utter disdain for anything Rob Zombie related, I can only conclude that he's he's talking about the band. But um, just kidding. I. <laughs> I do have to say, though, um, you know, I mentioned Jim Jarmusch earlier before that clip. And uh, I, I got to kind of talk really quick about the influence that you see throughout this entire movie. Um, you see a lot of Jarmusch-esque uh, elements t- to the movie. Um, I already mentioned like the, st- the single static deadpan shot that, that Rod used. And, you know, that's a pretty common Jarmusch camera setup. Um, another sort of jarmusch trademark is is trains there's there's always a a train featured in his movie and if you don't see a train you might hear a train in the background or like a train whistle and that's both Um, in this movie there's a train and a train whistle and it's one of the key plot points to to the movie and so you can kind of see that influence there Um, jarmusch also uses tons of like landscape shots and there's a ton of landscape shots in this movie as well of the kansas landscape um, another kind of jar trademark is you know plots are really based more on characters than story Um, and so this is really, um, about these three characters sort of like placed in this outlandish situation. So it's not really so much about like the zombies, um, the zombie apocalypse as it is about the characters. And so that is sort of another like jarmouche influence that you see. And then finally, um, Rod called this movie, the dead can't dance. And in 2019, nine years later, uh Jarmusch made a zombie movie called The Dead Don't Die. So, uh, Rod, I, you need to get hired on with The Simpsons, my friend, because uh, you are great at predicting future trends in movies. Um, first, you have the Native American zombie movie, and then Jeff Barnaby uh, sort of took your idea and, and did something else with it. And here you have a movie called The Dead Can't Dance about the zombies. And nine years later, Jim Jarmusch has to be one of your heroes, I guess. They they took a uh, he made a movie about zombies called The Dead Don't Die. So, hey, there you go. Somebody owes Rod a check so you can make that check payable to Rod it. But uh, now we find Dax and Eddie that they're they're outside the school completely surrounded by zombies. And it's so cool, like, watching these zombies slowly walk towards them across this elementary school playground. And maybe it's just me because I, you know, work adjacent to an elementary school playground. But um, it's really, it's just this haunting and splendidly eerie visual. And it's one that I've never seen in a zombie movie as well. And uh, it looks about like it's going to be daybreak now. And all these zombies are like staggering across the schoolyard, just ready to devour some delicious native brains. And uh, like I said, once again, like there's I've seen a lot of zombie movies, but never one that that takes place at an elementary school. So um, that is definitely a unique idea and hats off to you for, for, for doing that, sir. But um, as the zombies are like closing in on our heroes, Dax tells Eddie that, um, you know, hey, you need to to make for that field there, and I'm going to distract them so that you can get away. So he slowly kind of starts like waving his hands, and he's like shouting, like, oh God, oh God, oh God, like over here, over here, follow the noise, follow the noise. He's like goodbye gambling addiction, and then, and then like the zombies are like closing in, and he's like, I mean goodbye big gambling addiction. Like this this movie is so crazy, it's awesome, but uh, because these you know these zombies are kind of slow moving, he he's really easily able to like duck and and feign around them, and and he's never really um, even comes close to being in peril. But he starts like running, like the Pied Piper, like making the ultimate sacrifice by leading all these zombies away from his nephew so that he can escape. And they're following up and down like this playground equipment. He like runs across like the little jumpy bridge, and he like slides down the slide. And I mean, it sounds ridiculous like the way I'm describing it. So it's 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 a much better visual than than how I'm talking about it. But um, finally, like Dax, like makes his way to like the highest platform on the playground, and he's like up there and he's like leaning over the railing or whatever and the zombies are like slowly like scratching and clawing their way towards him Uh, and the sun is like starting to come up and he's like looking all over for a way to way out and he realizes like man this is it i'm pinned in there's nowhere to go like what am i gonna do And just as about there's, you know, they're about ready to overtake him. Um, Here comes that Jarmu's train whistle. It like blows real loud. And, and, um, you know, like a a load of freight trains come like or freight cars like come whizzing past. And then the loud noise attracts the zombies and they stop chasing him. And they sort of turn their attention towards the roaring train. And they all slowly begin to walk towards the tracks. And that sort of allows Dax to make his escape. So, uh, an undisclosed amount of time later, we see Ray, and he pulls up to pick up Eddie, um, who's sort of like emerges from a cornfield. And Ray, like you know, jumps out of the truck and he like embraces his son and he's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Like, you know, what's going on? And you know, where, where's your uncle? Like, you know, what's going on?" And Eddie tells him like, "I don't know. Like, I don't know where Uncle is. He just told me to run and hide." And so Ray like calms him down and he like helps him into the cab of the truck. And Eddie tells um, Ray. T- or Ray tells Eddie, "He's like, hey man, like you sit tight. I'm gonna go after your uncle." And he reaches in the back of the the, the you know the, the bed of the truck, and he pulls the shotgun out, and he like starts to head out.
0: Eddie, hey. are you all right? Where's Uncle? He told me to hide, and then he led them away. I'm sorry. That's all right, man. Let's just get you in the truck. Lock the door. If we don't come back, just drive as far as you can go. You hear me? All right. Hey, you call me dad from now on. Some things are going to fucking change around here dad what watch your mouth okay sorry if we don't come back just drive as far as you can go you can do this eddie right
1: yes ray's character arc is complete he's finally realized that he's been such an asshole to his son that now he's he's ready to step up and be dad so that's awesome But we catch up with Dax and he's like running full speed through a field lined with trees. Um, And he's running somewhere along the line. He's sort of picked up a two foot hunk of like rebar and he's like running and he's like looking back and forth over his shoulder Um, and he's not paying attention to anything um, like what's in front of him. So he trips and when he falls, he like impales himself on the rebar. Uh, He's like wrenching in pain. He's like rolling over back and forth on his side and he like sits up and, and just like like goddamn John J Rambo he like pulls the damn thing out and like chunks it in the woods and he's like bleeding pretty good at this point and he like rolls over to his stomach and he like crawls away so if you thought like his his back his bad back was going to be like the catalyst of his demise boy were you wrong <laughs> he takes a rebar to the bread basket. But as he's crawling, he, like, bumps into these black boots, and he looks up, and it's stupid zombie, um, and he's got the cell phone again, and in a series of whines and grunts, he's, like, um, uh, like again, I, I'm not really sure, like, what the deal is with the cell phone, but I guess he's maybe asking Dax to turn it on, or, or whatever, but Dax, when he sees him, he's almost relieved because, you know, this guy is harmless at this point. You know, he's had plenty of opportunities to kill him or whatever. And they never did. But just as he's, like, about to, like, you know, fix the cell phone for him or whatever, this huge, like, fat zombie comes, like, rushing in, like, Bill freaking Goldberg and just, like, spears Dax, like, right into the ground. Uh, they're rolling this way and that, and, like, Dax fights him off and... and um, and truthfully, you know, this this is uh, seems to be like the first time in the whole movie where uh, somebody is actually in in real, you know, dire trouble here. But uh, you know, like up until this point, like the zombies are pretty docile. They're just sort of wandering around, like bumping into shit. But this guy, he's like on a whole other level. Um, he's like fighting and clawing and like viciously biting at him and um, you know, and, and just like when rabbit zombie, he gets dax like He's like mounted him and he's like, you know, he's got him pinned and he's like ready to like close in for the kill. Uh, stupid Zombie like makes the save. He like grabs the rabid one like by the leg and he like hilariously like drags him across the ground like, you know, 10 feet away or so. Uh, rabid Zombie like breaks loose and starts like crawling back towards Dax. And Stupid Zombie like grabs him again and by the leg and starts like dragging him once again. But this time, it's sort of like a funny gag because as he's pulling in, he the, the leg of the rabid zombie comes completely off, and it's revealed that it's like a prosthetic leg. <laughs> like it's a prosthetic leg. And so um, there's like this... Uh, so, so that happens. And then another zombie, this one's like wearing fatigue, so I guess we'll call him uh, army zombie, I guess. Um, he like... Uh, He comes out of nowhere and he starts attacking stupid zombie. And, you know, I've seen a lot of zombie movies and I've seen, you know, a few zombies even turn on each other. But usually it's like, um, you know, like dogs, like snapping at at food. You know, when when two dogs get close to food, how one will kind of like snap at the other. That's kind of what I've seen. But this one, I've never seen like a like a full out like battle royal between zombies. And so this is another first for me. And so, like, you have these zombies, and they're all like fighting and, and trying to claw and, and, like just kill each other. Like, I'm not really sure what the, the what the uh, the purpose of this is, but it's awesome. But just as the moment when like arm, army zombie is like going to go in for a bite, his head explodes in like a cloud of like crimson mist. And Ray, that's right, Ray. He's like holding the smoking shotgun. They like re racks it, and he gives us this really awesome line.
0: Take your paws off him, you damn dirty zombie.
1: That's right. Right out of the mouth of good old NPR poster boy Chuck Heston and Planet of the Apes. Oh, man, he throws the gun down. Um, So, like, Ray... (laughs) I can't with this movie. It's so awesome. But anyway, so Ray, he, like, throws the gun down, and he, like, quickly surveys the situation, and he, he picks up, like, this big tree branch he's like stabbing all the zombies through the skull like finishing them off once and for all and it's at this point though we see a hand kind of come into the bottom of the frame and it's Dax saying like um hello I'm dying over here Ray like runs over to him and he starts comforting his brother oh no
0: Dax Ah. Oh. oh I feel terrible like I just ate some of my chili just be quiet right now can you walk a little then I'll get the car you finally got the car well that only took all night well I got a vehicle many stole yours what? I only had three more payments left I think we've got bigger problems right now how'd this happen? clumsy old me we have to find Eddie
1: he's sleeping in the truck
0: oh, thank god
1: That's so awesome. He's like, I'm sorry, Clooney stole your car. And he's like, what? They only had three more payments left. <laughs> That's so awesome. He's like, man, I think we have more important things to worry about than how many car payments you have left. But anyway, so, um, uh, like, Ray helps uh, uh, Dax to his feet, and they walk off together.
0: Do you think they're okay? I mean, everyone back home? They gotta be. Just get to the rendezvous point. And make sure Eddie goes to college. You coming with us, big brother? I mean, it's just a scratch. A little band-aid and you're gonna be just fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot you're the world's best doctor. on the job you just stay here i'll get the truck a truck you're moving up in the world i can't keep the brown man down <laughs> ray yeah brother i did good didn't i i mean i tried to with everything yeah I thought i'd be proud do you think so? Of course. You always were his favorite. You never you never let up, do you? <laughs> Just tell Eddie.
1: Yeah, I let that clip run a little too long, but he freaking dies. He dies. Are you kidding me? What? Oh, my God. What an incredible moment. Uh, I'm speechless. It's such a ballsy move. I mean, we've been following this guy. We've been rooting for him. He's been the rock. He's the voice of reason. He's our hero. And they killed him. I mean, how often do you see that anymore? It's usually like a side character who dies, like Clooney or, or something like that uh but but not not Dax. You can't kill Dax. Oh my god. I guess I mean I guess this makes sense. I mean, you know, I don't know. You know, in every movie, I guess the hero, you know, they have to go through some sort of change. I mean, they start at point A at the beginning of the movie and then the story unfolds, and shit happens, and they make some decisions and some circumstances in the plot, the the hero, you know, sort of ends up at point B, uh, maybe sometimes point C, but at the end of it, they've been completely changed from where the story began, and there's usually like this lesson learned along the way. But I guess for Dax, you know, he's not really the person who needed to change. It's Ray, uh, you know. He he's sort of like the the red herring, I guess, you know. It's it's Ray that has to kind of learn to forgive and kind of check himself so that he can be the father that that Eddie desperately needs. So in the sense of the movie, I guess, um, you know, or the context of the movie, Dax's death does make sense as far as like character arcs go. But again, it was just sort of. You know, completely out of left field, and, and I just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, and even hearing the 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 uh, the clip again, I'm just I'm just gobsmacked. I can't believe they kill he that he kills Ray, but or but that he killed <laughs> killed off Dax. But anyway, um, Ray and stupid zombie, um, yeah, he's back. I forgot to tell you that he's back without any explanation. But um, they load up uh Dax's body into the back of the pickup truck and they drive off. And then they sort of drive for a little bit and um, Ray, you know, kind of breaks the news of Dax's death to Eddie and they just, you know, they drive for another like undisclosed amount of time across the beautiful sweeping shots of the vast fields of sunflowers of the uh, Kansas landscape. And they come upon like another set of stalled cars and they're all sort of like bottlenecked on the side of the road. Um, very much similar to like how they were at the beginning of the movie. And Ray gets out and he goes over to this car. And he sees what I thought at first appeared to be like a woman. And she's like slumped over in the car um, because her face is all kind of bloodied up. And as he moves in for a closer look, he realizes that it's Clooney. And that was something that I didn't even catch the first time I watched this. I was just thought it was just some random shot of, of a woman. But the second time I saw it, I was like, "Holy shit, that's Clooney!" <laughs> so there it is. There's his story. He he ends up dead on the side of the road, and this is a super creepy shot um, because this zombie, his kid, his zombie. He's a zombie. He, uh, he starts like scratching and growling, and he's like biting like against the 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 glass. Um, it kind of reminded me of like you know those sometimes you see dogs inside like a car. And you kind of go over to him, and they, like, bite, and, like, you know, their, their teeth are, like, hitting the glass. Like, that. that's what this kid is doing. And so it's a pretty, like, you know, jarring shot, a jarring scene of this kid, like, scratching against the bloody window of the car um, that he's locked inside of. And, and Ray kind of shakes his head, and he, like, casually lights a cigarette and, you know, kind of remembers, like, he's sort of sad, you know, and he kind of walks away. He's kind of like, God dang, like, it sucks. But anyway, so there's what happens to Clooney's character. But they drive um, until they sort of run out of gas. And Ray wakes up a sleeping Eddie, and he tells him, like, hey, man, we got to start walking. Um, We're out of gas. And um, Eddie, at first, you know, he's like, he doesn't really want to leave Dax's body behind, but um, he sort of has to. And they start hot-footing down the road. They walk for what seems like a few miles they're like climbing over steel gates and like ducking through like barbed wire fences and and um, you know, like across barren fields. And then they finally come to the rendezvous. Um, there's like these armed military personnel all set up behind the sandbags and they're poised on top of their SUVs, you know, like cautiously watching for any undead that may be approaching. And apparently a few have made it through, obviously, because there's a few like dead bodies like scattered across the runway. Um, and there's like a bunch of natives and their families, like all stumbling, like, you know, bleeding and exhausted and dirty. And they're like, you know, kind of like walking down the runway towards safety. Uh, it's a really cool shot though. Cause like I said, you don't really normally see natives, you know, being the survivors. Um, so this is really kind of flips the, flips the image on its, uh, flips the script basically. But anyway, the, uh, army, they start pointing guns and like ordering all the relatives around, Um, They're talking to him through gas masks and they're saying stuff like, you know, get inside, you know, like hurry. Like there's medical aid, there's food, there's water, like get your ass inside. And then in a surprising uncredited cameo, my man, James Whitecloud, he shows up to give us some um, expository dialogue. We made it, didn't we, brother?
2: All this time, the one thing that was killing us ended up saving our lives history ain't it a bitch you should watch
1: your mouth yeah history ain't it a bitch it sure is thank you mud oh james white cloud so yeah awesome that's so cool so now we fade to black and we get like this epilogue title card and it's uh it says uh, way way later And you have, like, the the radio announcer again, and I guess he's sort of, like, um, kind of wrapping up the movie.
2: Reports are coming in about heroic victories from these modern-day warriors. Some have called the incident an ancient curse. Scientists are now calling in a deadly strain of tuberculosis. Vaccines are being developed thanks to the help of Native American leaders and tribal doctors with the donation of Native people's blood. And efforts are being made to keep the undead uh dead
1: (laughs) yeah yes sir that is so kick-ass isn't it indians save the day tribal doctors tribal leaders yep developed a vaccine using native blood so it's awesome it's 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 a great sentiment i think you know especially with like the you know current state of the world uh, you, you know, you can't help but draw a little comparison to the, the, to the pandemic that we're now facing. And I've said it once and I'll say it again. Simpsons, hire Rod Pocowatchit for your writing staff. Uh, he can eerily predict the future. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, we fade into a hospital and there's like this nurse or doctor that's in full scrubs. And they're pushing a gurney down the hallway and he bumps into Ray who's sitting outside a hospital room and he's reading a letter from Eddie and it's the payoff from where the scene in the school when Ray, you know, right before Eddie or excuse me right before Ray like headed out to find the gas can and all that stuff uh, Eddie handed him a piece of paper well this is what the piece of paper said it's a note that Eddie had written
0: Dear Ray I'm writing this waiting at the school You and that weird man have gone to get the car an uncle is going to get food. I don't know what's happening in the world right now, but I think it's going to change us all. Uncle tells me you just need time to get to know me. I hope I have all the time in the world. Love your son, Edward Ray Wildhorse.
1: Perfect wrap up. That's awesome. So as he's finishing the letter, like this hospital nurse wheels um, a healed up Eddie down the hall. He's like in a wheelchair and the father and son embrace and they walk out the door together and as they're leaving though, um, Eddie's cell phone rings and Ray kind of looks at Eddie and asks him, "Um, is that who I think it is? And Eddie answers yes. And Ray mumbles something. Um, He's like, man, stupid zombie. And then we fade out because, yes, it is stupid zombie with the flip phone um, calling Eddie. So, um, yeah. So uh, the the closing of the movie, the final part is, um, you know, this other gurney is, like, wheeled into view. And it's revealed to be the face of a woman. And I have no idea who this is. So um, I, it must be somebody important from the movie. I just don't know who because maybe it's Clooney's wife. I have no idea, but they really spend a lot of time like setting this up for something. Um, it really like zooms in on her face, and and anyway, uh, I'm hoping uh, we can get Rod on the on the podcast and we can ask him like what this was all about. But yeah, that that's the end of the movie. It wraps up with like this this close up of this zombie woman's face, and and then the credits roll. So. So let's go ahead and jump in really quick with the uh, cigar store groaners because I know we're pushing like two hours and 30 minutes here. Uh, You know what the cigar store groaners are if you're a listener to the show. They're those uh, demonstrative uh, stereotypical tropes that you commonly see in movies and television programs that feature indigenous characters or themes or storylines. I call them groaners because each time I see one played out – Visually, they occasionally cause me to to either groan out loud, either laugh hysterically, um, and sometimes like snicker with expectancy. But anyway, you probably have your own. I'm sure you do. But here are my top ten list of commonly seen groaners in Native films. Uh, Number ten, Drunk Indian. And I'm proud to say that uh, the Dead Can't Dance features not one drunk Indian. That's awesome. Number two, does the lead character have a white best friend or girlfriend? No. This movie is about three native men, Ray, Dax, and Eddie. The closest thing that we get to a white person in this movie, I guess, is Clooney, yeah, he, but he's still an eighth, so I'm going to count it as no. No. Uh, is there a medicine man or shaman? Uh, I give bonus points out if the lead character goes on a spiritual journey Not at all. So hey, man, we are doing great so far. We are 0 for 3 uh, Number four is the antagonist white or bonus points if he or she turns out to be the hero uh, Yes uh, but I'm okay with this I guess because I um, all of the antagonists are zombies but uh, white but they're white people so like all the white people are zombies. So I, I guess they're the antagonists but again I don't really think that's the main part of the story. And then there's even like nice uh, zombies so I, I don't really know so I'm gonna go ahead and give it half a groan I guess. <laughs> is there a native turnout or excuse me is there a native turncoat or sellout? Nope, there's no no sellout here. Is there a bar fight? absolutely and it takes place in a strip joint of all plays with zombie strippers you've got a cycle Billy zombie band um, it's a ripper but yep got a point there uh, mission of peyote or hallucinogenic drugs nope not at all does any character use racial names or get called anything inappropriate absolutely not uh, does a character receive an Indian name at the end nope they do not uh, is there mention of a scalping and then no uh, was there an eagle screech in the movie I'm gonna go ahead and give two bonus groans um, nope there is no eagle screech in this movie at least not one that I can remember um, were any of the female characters the subject of any type of abuse be it verbal physical or sexual it's, I know it's a gray area uh, sorta not really I guess maybe the strippers uh, I don't know maybe some of the gags featuring Ray. Uh, looking down the zombie woman's shirt, I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess I should give it half a groan. So all in all, we're at two groans. So that has got to be some sort of record. Uh, you know, a good portion of my groans <laughs> came from puns or, or jokes that just sort of landed a little flat. Um, and maybe every time Clooney was on screen, that was a big groaner for me. But overall, man, I really enjoyed this movie. But all right, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. We are at uh, almost, like I said, two and a half hours. So thank you for hanging in there with me. This has been a lot of fun. And um, I'm hoping soon to get a hold of uh, Rod uh to have him on the show so we can discuss this wonderful film that he has put together. It is the 10th anniversary of The Dead Can't Dance. If you want to check out this movie, go to YouTube, you can watch it for free. I encourage you though to uh, drop a few coins, download it on Amazon Prime, uh, order one from Rod, you can go to www.rodzilla.com. Pick up a copy, this is a lot of fun. I've seen a lot of zombie movies, but I have never seen a zombie movie quite like this, especially featuring native characters. Do yourself a favor, it is a perfect movie for the Halloween season, so mado, mado, thank you guys so much. Um, I've had a lot of fun. We're gonna be back in November. Um, we're gonna talk about the movie called Clear Cut. Uh, yes, uh, I am so looking forward to discussing this movie. This movie is a ripper. If you have not seen it, go to YouTube right now. Uh, I think that's honestly the only way you can see this movie. Um, is watching it on YouTube I happen to have a copy on VHS but I'm a nerd so there you go Uh, but yeah we're gonna talk about clear-cut and then for December I have a big surprise I have the best Christmas present planned for you guys you're gonna be so excited to to hear what I've got in store for you for December. Uh, so share it with your friends, download us, um, subscribe to the show, uh, Scoden Cinema. If you want to follow the discussion, you can. We're on Instagram at Scoden underscore cinema. Uh, we're also on Facebook at Scoden Cinema. Uh, there's two groups. I've got the private group, which I accidentally made, but I will accept you as a member. And then we also have just the regular Facebook group, the public group. So go there, like, uh, you know, subscribe, you know, follow, follow us, whatever. Um, We're excited to have you and look forward to uh, furthering the conversation. So for Turtle Boy, I'm going to wrap it up and say, Mado, thank you guys so much, and I will see you next month.